And good morning, New York sports fans. It is 2.05 and 38 seconds on this early Saturday morning. I'm Danielle McCartan. I'm going to try this out. McCartan after midnight? Does that have a good ring to it? We'll be talking all things New York sports until 6 a.m. on this Saturday morning. It's an honor to be with you following the legendary Steve Summers, as you just heard, and the first of hopefully many New York Yankees postseason games in 2019. We are two hours into Sunday, October 5th, and it certainly feels like fall outside because, man, it's cold out there, and it smells like winter. And according to my Apple Watch, it is 47 degrees. I put some Uggs on. Don't judge me. I caved, and I did it. Coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio in lower Manhattan, we've got Pat Pine the Glass with me tonight, and he's ready, willing, and able to take your phone calls. You guys know the number, 877-337-6666. Hey, let's load them up with your best Yankees, Mets, Giants, Jets content. Hey, a heartbreaking loss for the Devils tonight, too, but did you see that one-handed, backhanded goal? That was pretty cool. If you, if you didn't see it, look it up. I saw the GIF on Twitter. It's pretty cool. Um, so for the Yankees, we have uh, a, a familiar song for you guys. You gotta fight for your right to party. Now the Yankees, they're fighting for their right to party. On to the ALCS and on to the World Series. And tonight, that journey began in the Bronx. Game one of the American League Division Series. The second by the way, longest playoff game in New York Yankee history. And you got to imagine, there's a lot of long Yankee playoff games. And this was the second longest ever recorded, of course. Um, the Twins came into town looking to reverse their fate, to slay the Dragon Yankees, to snap that 10-game postseason losing streak to the Savages. Not tonight. The Yankees handled them in a decisive fashion, winning 10-4 in front of a crowd of 23, I mean, 49,233 rabid fans. And maybe some of you are listening right now on your way home. But I got to tell you, I'm watching every single pitch of the game, my house. I do have a huge problem with seeing the empty legend seats on, on TV at the beginning of the game and the totally empty legend seats by the, let's, I, I don't really see the end of the game. It was like the beginning of the eighth inning. I predicted they'd be gone by the 7th, but this is the beginning of the 8th. Where are the real fans? I'd like to see them. And if you're not going to use your seat, I'll take it. I'll go. And done. I don't want to hear any more about these t- the Twins' momentum, winning 21 out of the last 30 games. Done. I don't want to hear about how the Twins are the best road team in baseball with a record of 55-26. and 26. The Yankees are new and improved from last season, and they do have a real chance to make a run for it all, for all the marbles this year. And going into tonight's game, or I guess last night's game, my number one Yankees key to victory was that the Yankees needed to jump out early in that game because when you look at it on paper, since August 16th, the Twins' ERA of their bullpen was 3.27. That's over 41 games. And you know what that's good for? That's good for second in the major league and first in the American league. Better than the Yankees, better than the Astros. But the Yankees bats knock Berrios, a starting pitcher, out after four innings and a 3-2 lead. And who could have predicted the absolute implosion by the Twins' bullpen? I know I didn't. 
And I know a lot of your Twitter GMs didn't. The best in the American League as of the last two months, the Yankees took it to them. And it didn't look like they were the best in the last two months. We heard so much also, too. How tired of you are hearing about all these home runs coming into this game. The Twins led the league with 307. The Yankees in second place with 306 during the regular season. We get it. But the Yankees took a little bit different approach to the play tonight. They saw 193 pitches through eight innings because obviously they're the home team and they were winning. That's an in- that's incredible. That's It's 24 pitches an inning. No starting pitcher can sustain that. And I think, in my opinion, Aaron Boone, for the most part, pressed most of the right buttons. I liked the pinch running of Cameron Mabin because you obviously saw that Giancarlo Stanton got th- thrown out on, on a play at first base early in the game. They reviewed it. I mean, they re- originally called him safe, but then they reviewed it. But Sano, the guy's like almost 300 pounds charging a ball, and Giancarlo Stanton can't make it to first base. Come on. It was in the no-man's land, the triangle between like the pitcher, the catcher, the shortstop, and and the third baseman. I guess that's more of a rectangle. That's where the ball landed. And Stanton couldn't dig it out. So Mabin comes in, steals two bases in a single inning, second and then third. Um, I thought Boone constructed the lineup. I, I think he did a good job in doing that. And I think for setting the rotation the way he did with um, Paxton going in game one, Tanaka two, Severino three. That's the way I would have done it. So I guess that means great minds think alike, huh? But there was one move that I didn't like. I didn't like Boone yanking Adam Adovino after facing and walking only one batter. He had one batter, and that was it. And I think, or I felt at least, that he that Adovino had a favorable situation even with walking that guy because then he was set up with first and second with two outs. I, I, th- I thought he had some wiggle room with the next hitter, to, I mean, to say the very least. I mean, I'm sure it had to do with a lefty-righty matchup, I'm sure. But, like, that short leash, like, I didn't like that because it was early in the game, and the game was still up in the air at that point. And to have one of your best relievers come out to face one batter, I didn't like that too much. And not to mention the fact that Adovino was not used like that all in the regular season. So why start now? And we saw a glimpse of postseason Stanton stinking up the place. At, at the plate and in the field. And what was he thinking swinging at that 3-0 pitch with two outs and runners on second and third, losing one nothing? Brett Gardner in left field, put him there. He's got a 1,000 fielding percentage there for this season. And last week, I tried to garner the Minnesotans' point of view on the Yankees-Twins matchup. I read some articles from their newspapers, not ours. Man, you should have seen the comments in some of these articles. My favorites was... The Twins have no chance. I'd be surprised if they weren't swept, <laughs> which made me laugh out loud, so I wanted to show you, tell, tell you guys. Um, so the Yankees are one game closer to fulfilling that prophecy for you, Mr. Unknown Twins fan or Mrs. My Yankees player to game, obviously it's going to have to be DJ LeMahieu, despite the drop early um, in the field, obviously, a pop-up at first base. It ended up not mattering anyway because Urshela initiated an inning-ending double play there. And tonight at the plate, LeMahieu, three for five, four RBIs, and a solo home run. You know in that game, as chance of MVP rained down upon him as he stepped into the box. DJ LeMahieu is as clutch as they can be. Bases loaded this season, including the playoffs. 11 for 16, 688, 27 RBI. 
And my Yankees go to the game. Gary Sanchez. A pass ball. 0 for 3 at the plate. Five runners left on base. Luckily for him, the pass ball never ended up mattering because Aaron Judge laid out in full extension for the third out of that inning, saving the run from scoring. Also lucky for him, his 0-3 was disguised. I mean, his 0-3 was disguised by the 10 runs the rest of the Yankees put up in the game. So much more to discuss about tonight's game and how the Yankees and Twins match up for Game 2, set to be played later today, 5.07, I think it was, 5.07 p.m. Now, for the Giants, we've got a little tune for them. We've got... This is a pretty good song because it's Lizzo. Truth hurts because she says Minnesota Vikings, right? So the Giants are set to welcome the reeling Minnesota Vikings to the MetLife Stadium this week. They and their fans have been happily watching the Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, Stephen Diggs, Stephon Diggs drama, the telenovela unfold with their popcorn in their hands. What the heck is going on out there? Why is Cousins publicly apologizing to Thielen? Will Diggs even suit up on Sunday? Or will he be traded to a different team? He didn't deny it in a press conference. And with Golden Tate set to make his 2019 debut for Big Blue after his performance-enhancing drug suspension, with Daniel Jones as a starter, steering the Giants to a 2-0 record, and with a defense that has played markedly better last week, do the Giants have a real shot at taking home another W on Sunday? With the drama surrounding the Vikings, I think they just might. The Jets. The Jets, and first of all, that's old school. That's for you old school wrestling fans who, like me, definitely know the song. Vince McMahon used to come out to this song, remember? But that's no chance is exactly what the Jets have to win on this Sunday. Sam Darnold's going to be out. The test Thursday night concluded that it would be not safe for him to return to full contact yet. Sam Darnold also said that he's not looking to die out there or something to that effect. Can't blame him, right? The Jets are entering week five then with their third-string quarterback, a backup that didn't even take one practice snap this week, which is incredible to me. That How do you have a backup quarterback? What happens if Falk gets hurt? Your backup hasn't taken one practice snap the entire week. And the Jets are 14-point underdogs to the 2-2 Philadelphia Eagles. I know the Jets' offense has not put up many points this season, despite insert sarcasm here, having a quarterback whisperer and an offensive guru as head coach in Adam Gase. In his Friday press conference, he said something that almost knocked me off my chair. And this happens like pretty much once a press conference. I mean, I wasn't there. I was watching it on, on, uh, on, online on Twitter. He said, and this is a quote, our guys have done a good job with any changes we've had to make. That's an end quote. A good job. A good job. Is Adam Gase watching the same Jets team that we all are? What are they, 0-3 with a bye week mushed in there? Is he watching the same team that we are? A team that can't throw the ball down the field? A team that can't get any pressure on a quarterback? I mean, really? And finally, we have the Mets. Closing time. Every new beginning comes from some other beginnings end. Well, it was fun while it lasted, Mets fans. They were in it. Mets were in it. They were doing a lot of scoreboard watching with, I, I, 
the day I was like, oh my God, there's four games left in the season and the Mets are still, you know, maybe in it, in the thick of it. And they're be, the Mets are playing meaningful baseball in late September. So I think you mark that up as a win for the Mets, for the orange and blue. And now, a little bit of a change. They're set to take on a new manager. I didn't think they were going to do it. And I could tell you why. Not right this second. We can get into it a little bit. But And then they also decided to keep Syndergaard, which I thought was the right move. And Edwin Diaz. Hmm. Well, the Mets have their eyes set on a playoff run in 2020. And you can insert your 2020 vision get, uh, jokes there. But um, so later tonight, we'll talk, or if you want to right now, you can jump on 877-337-6666. We can discuss the Mets' choices for manager. I have a clear-cut front runner, and I think the Mets should have the same mentality. And what the pitching move in keeping Syndergaard and Diaz, I'll say it like that. But what the the pitching move means for the rest of the lineup, because I had an epiphany. I mean, it'll be a little bit of a stretch, but I kind of like the move I came up with because it looks to me like Zach Wheeler's a goner. Let's hit some calls after the break. Everything, as you can tell, is on the table. I can't wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan after midnight on The Fan, and he is Marco Belletti. Well, you can't have New York without sports. And you can't have sports without the fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM. You're 66. New York. Hey, good morning back, everybody. Real quick, little turnaround there. I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan after midnight. I think I like it. I think I like it. Um, I, I saw somebody flash up on the screen and they wanted to talk about the Mets managers on this Yankee playoff game. But the suggestion I saw it on the screen was Wally Backman. <laughs> well, I mean, I, to address that person, cause they did hang up Wally Backman. I mean, he did coach the Las Vegas 51s. They were, um, from 2013 to 2016. So he has experience with the younger players, but just a Google search of his name, guys, and you could see that Wally Backman was arrested for domestic dis- uh, disturbance or dispute or something in August of this year. Mm, I don't know about that. Um, let's go to Blair in Maine. I want to talk about the Dodgers. Blair, you were first first to call in tonight. You're on the fan. Yeah, yeah. The lobster is great in Maine, I always say. <laughs> can't I've, beat that with the stick. I've never been there. I can't attest to it, you, but I, I'll take you your word. You haven't been there. Well... I gotta say, man, you didn't. I mean, I gotta say, um, you, you, you did not mention the Patriots. How good we are out here! Patriots are very good. They are first yeah, in the NFL in offense and first in defense. Yes, without Gronkowski, yes. without Gronk, we're mm-hmm. good. Amazingly good. I mean, amazingly. Well, maybe not with six point win last week, but <laughs> I'm well, sure the Jets we'll, we'll fans are in the this audience week against the Redskins, but. Uh, let's talk some baseball. Let's go. Okay, so you're talking about the Yankees. I'm talking about those Dodgers, man. The Dodgers, all they got to do is lose two more games and they're out because mm-hmm. it's best best out of five, right? Mm-hmm. It's just you got to lose two two more because they've already lost one and they're yep. one and one. So if they go and lose, it's three to one, I think, and then that that's it, and then you're out. But the Yankees are going to sweep who they're playing, which is Minnesota Twins. So then they'll play the winner of Houston 
And it's going to be um, Houston. It'll yeah, be Houston. Houston. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. Which is going to be a tough one, right? Isn't it going to be tough? You think? Yeah. I, the way I see it, I the Yankees have a very slim chance of coming. Don't hang up yet, though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Are you um, going to let me answer? Yeah. Answer it. Sorry. It's <laughs> okay. So, I, I just think uh, I, I ran some numbers, and I think the Yankees are going to have a hard time coming out of Houston with a win in that series. But you know, that's why you play the game, right? You're right. You're definitely right. That's why you play the game, and that's why it's baseball, and it it's not like NFL playoffs. It's one game, and you're out. Correct. At least you get more chances than unless NFL you're in the playoffs. wild card game. Then yeah, then you're wild one card. out. Wild card sucks. But I got a song for you. What's that? I want to wake up where you are. I got it. I got it. Okay, how does this tie in now? That's what I do with the Patriots. <laughs> I play this song, then I wake up in the next morning, I'm like, woo, it's already, it's already Saturday, but really going to be Sunday soon, and the Patriots are going to win, baby. All right, Blair, thanks for the call. Oh, my God. I like the song idea. See, it's catching on. I do like it. He wants to wake up where the Patriots are. I think a lot of people do. But not a lot of people listening right now do because we are in Giants and Jets country. And that is one thing that Giants and Jets fans can agree on is that they hate the Patriots. CJ in Mount Holly, what do you got for me tonight? All right, Daniel. I want to talk about the Mets managerial situation. Sure. You know what? I've been hearing calls the last couple of days that they were so happy that Callaway is gone. But you know what? I don't know if Callaway was really the, the man for the job or not. But one thing to consider the starting pitching staff this year remained injury-free and intact. And I don't think he's getting enough credit for that. Well, I don't know if that's the manager that would get the credit for that. So his decision, though, about overstressing the pitcher could come into play. You're right. I don't know, like, you don't know for sure, but you think Callaway was really getting a bad rap. And the other question is, Daniel, how many games does a manager really determine a year Maybe three or four. I, I think that's really it. Yeah, Mets fans would agree or, or agree to disagree with you because I think Mets fans placed a lot of their losses on Mickey Calloway when, based on my little McCartan math, the bullpen cost them about eight games this year alone. Yeah, but who's to blame for the poor bullpen this year? You know what? It's not Brody Mickey Calloway, right. But Brody did not make the necessary moves in the offseason, so I think a lot of the blame really goes to Brody, but getting to the new manager, you know what, I know fans want Girardi, and Girardi would be a very good manager candidate, obviously, in Madden. There's no way the Mets know the history, and knowing Brody, are they going to go for that? Brody, I think, is going to go for a younger manager that's under his thumb that he could control. Yeah, and CJ, thanks for the call. See, that's that's the conundrum I think the Mets are in right now. And I can't believe we're talking Mets on a, on a Yankee playoffs, but we'll go there because that's where you guys want to go. That's where we'll, we'll go. But for me, it, it's, first of all, backing up a little bit. Um, I ran a poll on Twitter, and it received almost 1,000 votes. And the question was, do you want Mickey Calloway managing your team in 2020? 85% of the people that voted said no, which left 15% yes. And... I obviously can see that I'm in the minority as well as CJ from Mount Holly. He wasn't the worst thing that could happen to the Mets. I mean, in the second half of the season, he had a 635 winning percentage with that team. Hottest team in baseball in the second half of the season. Then, this roller coaster season, the team did not quit on Mickey Calloway. They did not tank. They did not quit. 
And, and as a coach myself, that is a reflection on the coach or in baseball, the manager. They played for him. And then, obviously, the Mets had bullpen issues entering play this year. We talked about it here on WFAN. So Brody Van Wagenen did make some moves. Familia, Diaz. They just turned out to be duds. Mostly Diaz. So this season, when I talk about McCartan math, maybe we should hashtag that out. But the Mets have only saved 56 of eligible games. 56% of eligible games. That's 22nd out of all 30 teams. In my line of work in the daytime, that's an F. Grade of F. The top third of the league has saved 67% of games and above. Imagine if the Mets had a halfway decent, like a C-minus average bullpen, which saved 70% of the saves. Because the highest in the league was Toronto at 76. So if you do a little math, there's a difference of about eight wins. The Mets theoretically could have won 92 games with a C-minus bullpen. That would have been the seventh best record in the MLB. Still behind Atlanta, though. And club officials pegged the team as a 92-win team before the season even began. So there you go. I said that the Mets would be playing meaningful baseball back in January in September. And they are. And they were. So in the big picture, I probably would have let Callaway play out his last year of the three-year deal just to incentivize him to do the best managing of his career. The Mets are always seem to be so uh, caught up on money. Well, he's, he was making less than a million dollars. And I think the Mets have a lot of great pieces. Maybe they should have let Callaway work with a halfway decent bullpen and see what's up with that. Mike in Fresh Meadow, you're on the fan. Hey, Daniel. How are you tonight? Good. How are you? Well, thanks. Uh, I had an interesting proposition in terms of potentially extending the uh, the wild card series to maybe a best of three. I wanted to see your thoughts on that. I absolutely hate a wild card one game uh, play in. I hate it. So, yeah, best of three. I, w- I would love a best of three series. It seems it seems a bit monotonous. It seems like it's all just built up for this moment, and it's it's what is it like a six month season more? I'm not really sure the timeline, but like it's a little silly. Yeah, I think, uh, Mike, thanks for the call. I'll answer the question now. Um, I, I think if anybody follows my work and everything, I, I, I think the word would be abhor. Abhor, really hate the one-game wildcard playoff. It makes baseball exciting, but I think baseball is exciting regardless. I like putting myself in the pitcher's shoes, and I like checking out a guy's batting stance and seeing if I were the pitcher, where would I throw the ball? Where can I attack the hitter? I like pitch sequencing. Maybe that's coaching me, but it's like the game within a game. You know, pitcher-catcher relationship within the game going around them. So to have um, to have a one-game play-in, just one game, it doesn't make any sense to me because baseball, the season, is built upon series. So you play a a weekend series, for example, two games, three games, four games series, and then you you come away with the win that way. I think having this one-game do-or-die scenario, it doesn't work. Think about the NFL. It works for the NFL because you win or you lose a game once. There aren't – you don't play the Patriots three times in a row, and Jets fans, my God, good thing. But I think the one game is is ridiculous. 
And I think a three-game set would be fair. Because if, and I go back to like my line of work, I'm a teacher in the daytime. So if I present the information to my class in one way, we practice it all in one way, and then I quiz them on a totally different way, totally something we never practiced before, something that was totally new, they're not going to perform too well on that quiz. And I don't teach the test. I'm saying that if what you're used to and then what you're like tested on is two different things, you're not going to have success. And that's what I feel about the, the MLB, the, the wild card. You're tested in series throughout the season. And then your assessment at the end happens to be just a, a one game, one and done. And you've got, not to mention, all kinds of chaos happening with your, your pitching staff. You're lining up pitchers, maybe starters, you're just trying to get two or three innings out of each starter, possibly, and it just screws you up. It's it's just not it's not natural, and it's it's not a good look. Carmine in the Bronx, you're on the phone. Hi, hi, Danielle. How are you? Good. How are you, Carmine? Long time listener, first time caller. All right. What do you got for me tonight? Um, I just wanted to say, uh, how much stock do you actually put into uh, a manager these days? Well, say in, in baseball, being that uh, with the rule changes and. Uh, the general manager and uh, owners making the calls. Do you put much stock into a manager these days? I think the manager is the figurehead, but I think that the decision is made collectively as a group. I think the manager is more so just the the in-game decisions are made by a manager with the help of a bench coach and a pitching coach and a batting coach and all that. But um, more so nowadays, it's more of a, a team. Absolutely. Because I, I, I looked up this new position called a quality control coach. And that is very broad, and that person helps out the manager a lot. That's a new position. Well, now next year with the rule change, I believe that uh, a pitcher, when you bring a pitcher in, they have to pitch to at least three batters, which I don't like. But it uh, doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. I don't know if it's going to go with the the playoffs and everything, but if it does, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Uh, you know, like Tony Larusa, he was go to the bullpen every after the pitch or every batter. Like I like I like the game like that. Sounds like Aaron, would, Aaron Boone tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I I but Adovino. Yeah, I, I didn't like that move. I did not like him yanking Adovino so soon. Carmine, thanks for the call. Um yeah, I, I did not like that move and I don't like that piecemeal work. I think I kinda if that's the rule change, I haven't seen that, but if if I'm gonna take Carmine's word for it, if that is a rule change, I kinda like that. That makes baseball a little bit more exciting again. Because now you can't play lefty-righty matchups. One pitch, yank the pitcher. One batter, yank the pitcher. I kind of like that. Makes it a little bit more exciting. And I feel like I'm like a baseball, what's that called? Like a, a conservative and a liberal in baseball in both senses of the term. Because, you know, while I I like small ball, bunting, hit and runs, and I'm not so much into launch angles and and exit velocity and stuff like that. I do feel that I I like I like the bat flips. I mean, I know I'm in the minority here, but I like it. Except for Acuña when he flips the bat and See, I think that was another thing. I don't think he knew the ground rules of the field on which he was playing because I think he thought that if it hit the bricks, it was a home run. And clearly it wasn't because you know some fields are, are a little weird like that. I'm not sticking up for him. I think the guy should have hustled all the time. But I'm just saying that maybe that's the only thing I can possibly even think of why Acuna didn't run out that ball. 
because maybe he just thought that once it hit the bricks, it was out of the park. And it did hit the bricks, but it was not, it was not out of the park. And, uh, and if he was really so sorry about it, and this is the other thing, if he was really so sorry about doing it, he would not have done the same thing on his next home run. You see that little stutter step he did around third base? Come on. I like the showboating, but that's a little much. And now Cunha is one of the best players in the league. Got some Mets calls on hold. Hang there. God, I want to talk about the Yankees. They just won an ALDS game. Game one. More of your calls after the break. A sports leader, sports radio, morning, everybody. 2.43 on this October 5th. It's chilly October 5th. I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan after midnight. I think I like it. With you on the fan until 6 a.m. today. If you want to hit up the social medias, I haven't given them out yet, I don't think. it's Twitter is going to be at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Also, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Same spelling. Um, and you guys can, let's continue the conversation there, but I prefer you guys call in. And we were just talking about the Mets on his Yankee playoff win. I'll take two more Mets calls for now. I want to talk about the Yankees, but this is what you guys want. So Jason in Springfield, you've been on hold for a while. What do you got for me tonight? You're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. So how would you fix the Mets bullpen? Well, how would I, well first of all, what I would do is I would take Diaz, send him to the best pitching coach I could buy, and then from there, hope that he gets a little bit better and then trade him. And that's how I would do it. I would, And there's a lot of free agent also, by the way. There's a lot of free agent arms on the market. So um, Lugo, I would not move him to the rotation. I would keep him where he is. Or maybe even turn him into a closer. I think he's too valuable. I think, And I think the Mets have a stockpile of, uh, of starting pitching. So I don't think there is a need to move Lugo into the starting rotation. Keep him as a, a, either a two-inning setup man or as a closer. The guy was the best reliever out of the Mets pen this year. And June in the Bronx, you're on the fan. Hey, how you doing? Uh, long time listening to you. I'm first time calling you. Thanks, I appreciate it. What do you got for me tonight? Yeah, yeah, I'm calling. I'm calling because I, I disagree with you about the wild card game being only one game. Because the problem with that is that you kept you get penalized because you didn't win your division. So to me, it's all right. It wouldn't be unfair if you win your division and then you have to play a game to, to advance. And you that, yeah, that is the other argument. Yes. I, I, I see your argument. Yes. Yeah. And about Callaway also was under 85% that went out. Yes. For the fact that isn't he didn't know how to to coach. I, I don't understand how you've been a manager in a major league and you don't know how to do a double switch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, 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 that's a big problem because one point is that you lose the game because uh, your players doesn't play like the way they're supposed to play. But right. you missing up a game doing a bad double switch and putting a pitcher that is not supposed to get in. That's my problem with Callaway. That's why I want him out. But Do you know how many games though, that led to a huh? direct loss, though, this year? What happened? Do you know how many games that led to a direct loss, though? Him not pulling a double switch? 
not a lot, but for one game, that that means you're going to the postseason and not. That, that, that's my problem. I, I never – sometimes a uh, manager is in a team that players doesn't perform. And I'm okay with that. But when you don't know – which player to put in? That's that's a big problem. So that's why I don't I don't I don't want him anymore. I, I'm good with the decision. Thanks, June, for the call. You know, I uh, I get it. I guess I get it. But you know, when you're picking from slim pickings in your bullpen, you know, there's only so much you can do. Dave in Brooklyn, you're on the fan. Hey, how are you? What's up, Dave? Yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about the Yankees tonight yes. and Aaron Judge, for example. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, is this guy a star or what? I mean, is this? Look at him defensively, uh, taking second base on that wild pitch yep. that barely got away from the catcher, right? Yep. yep, and it was in front of the catcher too, and that's like a typical "don't go" situation. But he must have got a good jump on it. And there's a feeling as a base runner, there's a feeling mm-hmm. that you have within you. You're like, yeah, I'm going to make it. I'm going to go, or no, nah, I better not. It's just I can't describe what the feeling is. You have to just know it. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, like ask yourself this: ask you, imagine Judge just had never been a postseason performer, and he had just failed again tonight. We would have been looking at this guy like he's some dead weight guy who just can't do it when it matters. And it's the complete opposite to the point that we just take him for granted. We just expect him to be a star. Yeah. But Danielle, I have another question for you: Have you ever coached baseball? You know, no, but I used to, I played baseball until I was a freshman in high school and they made me switch to softball. So, but I've never coached it, no. Well, see, this is this has been my problem first, for, ever since Judge came up and I see the same exact thing happening with, um, with Stanton. The umpire will not raise the zone for the tall guys. Mm-hmm. We get it that the tall guys have larger zones. My problem is, does Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's kneecap have the same height as Al- as Altuve's kneecap? Obviously not. <laughs> no. Why can't they simply register in their brains? Hey, look at this six foot eight inch monster coming up to the plate. Doesn't that mean that the zone goes up? And yet they will not do it. They continue. And the, you know, Cone was asked about this because it happens to Judge to the point where fan graphs, uh, baseball perspective, or have written articles about this for two or three years. If mm-hmm. you just type in um, Aaron Judge strike zone, that's it. There's article after article about how he gets loses about 150 calls a year. Yeah, and the Astros. I mean, excuse me. The um, the the uh, the uh, the Twins. Look how tight they were pitching him. Low, 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 yep. low. And David Cohn, when he was watching a game during the year, they were asking him about it, and he said, "As a pitcher, you just continue to throw it until the umpire says no." Right. And can you just tell me why can't they raise the zone for the tall man's kneecap? That's all I want to know. That's a great question, Dave, and I appreciate it. I uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't have an explanation for that. I mean, maybe that would be an argument in favor of mechanical strike zones. Maybe um, I, I don't get it, and I think. What was it, his rookie year? I'm just pulling off uh, the the depths of my brain here. But I, I think Aaron Judge's rookie year, he was called out on strike three more than any other batter in the league. It's, look that up. Just verify that because, I'm you know, I'm going into the, the doldrums of my, my brain cells here and at 2.50 in the morning. But I believe that there was something along the lines of Aaron Judge had the most strike called strike threes, that low pitch that, that he was just talking about, that low pitch, strike three, 
more times than any other um any other batter in the league that that particular year i think Charles and Queens you're on the fan yes hi i first up i want to say um thank you and bless you for being there <laughs> and um um i agree with you with the one game playoff but i have an alternative issue okay i'm i'm not a big fan of the shift i mean how does that affect um the Hall of Fame. There would be no Ted Williams, no Derek Jeters, or anybody else. I don't think it's, I won't say legal, but I don't think it's fair because it's going to change the, the statistics for everybody who, you know, is actually, I'm sick of seeing base hits that are, have the have the second baseman in right field. And I just think it's just not fair. Something should be done about that also. So what is your opinion of that? Thanks, Charles. I appreciate the, the question there. This is another something that I, I kind of feel strongly about, and I'm, I'm actually on the other side of the fence um, than you, Charles. I think that as a Major League Baseball hitter, you should be able to go with a pitch. I mean, I know I teach my amateur softball players, or I used to, to go with the pitch. We practice on the tee. I set it up outside, deeper in the strike zone. I set it up inside farther in the strike zone and I have them and Aaron judge. I saw an article with him. I have my players imagine a windup and the ball track an imaginary ball coming in off the tee. And from there you work inside and outside. I just don't understand why major league hitters can't do that. And I obviously know that they're going against major league pitchers as well. That also are, are looking to mow them down as well. I get that. But when I'm looking at these spray charts, the the overlays in the Yankee game tonight, and I forget who it was, but I think it was Glaber Torres. Yeah, it was him. He pulls pulls the ball, pulls the ball. It was red on the left side of the infield. Third base, shortstop, was red. And it was green on their color inlays were green on the, on the right side. It, it was like a 6% chance he, he hits it to the second base. I mean, you are a major league batter. You should be able to poke it the other way. I'm sorry. And and to get back to Charles's question of affecting the Hall of Fame, well, it certainly affects numbers, and it was something that I know uh, Bryce Harper's agent, Scott Boris, we know Scott Boris because he was A-Rod's agent, but um, Scott Boris was also really affected by this in for his client because he came out and he was like, this isn't fair. It's going to affect Bryce Harper's ability, my client Bryce Harper's ability to um, garner big money in a big contract situation because they're going to look at him and see him as a, a 220 hitter when if they didn't have the shift on, he'd be batting whatever, pick a number. So I, I just, I can't get, uh, so then my argument is why can't Bryce Harper take a pitch the other way? Why can't Bryce Harper lay down a bunt? And I said this already. I am both, a, uh, that's the word I was looking for, a baseball purist and a liberal, but in this sense, I'm a purist. Phil in Whitestone, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Danielle, the the last caller said that Ted didn't pull the shift on, on Ted Williams. He's the only player they pulled the switch, the shift on. Not as frequently as it's, as it's done today, but they did pull the shift on Ted Williams. And he still hit it through. See? And that's the mark of a Hall of Fame hitter. 
<laughs> See, I, 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 and thanks for the call, Phil. I, I appreciate you fact checking that because uh, Ted Williams is, uh, I, I don't want to call him old at all, but, you know, Ted, my, my first game in Yankee Stadium, as my first baseball game was in Yankee Stadium and it was 1996. So you guys can do the math on that. And uh, I'm not calling that caller old by any means because Ted Williams was born in 1918. But, you know, I'm not so connected with, with Ted Williams. But if he says that he hit through the shift, then you know what? You should be able to do it. Bryce Harper, learn. Uh, you know. And uh, speaking of the shift and hitting for average and hitting with runners in scoring position, the Yankees have on their team the top two hitters, most productive hitters, with runners in scoring position. You want to guess who they are? Number one and number two? Runners in scoring position, highest batting average, most productive. Number one, known other than DJ LeMayhew. And number two, Glaber Torres. Now, in a very, very, very early, early, too premature tweet, I think I tweeted it, Gleyber Torres is going to be the World Series MVP. And that, in my opinion, that's my opinion. That means the Yankees have to get there, and that means the Yankees have to win, which I think I think they can. If they can get through the Astros, I think they can win it all. But I think Gleyber Torres is going to be, if the Yankees do get there, the guy. By the way, Danielle, before the strikeouts looking two years ago, Judge was the strikeout king. I couldn't find anywhere on who led the league in strikeouts looking. Um, I know Chris Davis struck out a ton looking that year, and he was third, but I think it's a safe bet to say that Judge did lead in strikeouts looking as well. See that? See? In the doldrums of my brain. Thanks for checking on that. I appreciate that. All right, so we're going to go to break. In about 30 seconds, so let's let's get some phone calls up. It's 877-337-6666. And guys, did you know that the Yankees won their first postseason game tonight versus the Twins, who had a, a 10-game postseason losing streak to the Yankees? We'll talk about that. I want to talk about starting pitching. We have an announcement that was that came out at 1.30 a.m., sort of kind of breaking news, that the Rays are naming Randy Dobnak, Dobnak, their Game 2 starter when everybody thought it was going to be Jake Odorizzi, including me. So I'll introduce you to Randy, what I can find about Randy as a pitcher and Randy as a person. And then how does he stack up against the Yankees? We'll hit that on the other side of the break. Sports Radio 101.9 FM Hey, good morning, everybody. Again, I'm Daniel McCartan here on WFAN from the Mike Francesa studio, Lower Manhattan, on the eve of Game 2 of the New York Yankees taking on the Minnesota Twins in the ALDS, the American League Division Series. Now, tonight, the Yankees earned a 10-4 win and it was close for a while, but then all of a sudden the Yankees' bats woke up, led by uh, Gleyber Torres and DJ LeMahieu. Surprise, surprise, Yankees fans, right? And uh, so there was about, I don't know, 1.30 a.m. came through, breaking news, quote-unquote, that the Rays, instead of having what everybody thought as Jake Odorizzi as their second starter in Game 2, well, they have him 
in Game 3 to make way for Randy Dobnak. Everybody had been expecting Odorizzi, and maybe the reason why is that when Odorizzi pitches at Yankee Stadium, um, with the Rays, I guess that factors in too, he's given up 12 home runs, which is a lot because it's like 1.3 home runs per uh, appearance at Yankee Stadium. And that's the highest ratio of all the ballparks he's pitched in. So he surrenders 1.3 home runs a game at Yankee Stadium. That's probably the reason why they didn't go with him in game two at Yankee Stadium. Because batting average against is like 239. And a guy that kills him, and to keep an eye on for game three, because game three is going to be Odorizzi versus Severino. And because I'm not going to talk to you guys until after that, if you want to really, really key on, in on some guys, if I'm Aaron Boone, I am making sure I find a spot for Cameron Mabin to get as many at-bats as possible. And even more importantly, Gio Urshela. Gio Urshela hits 500 against him. It's a very small sample size. I get that, two at-bats. <laughs> but Cameron Mabin, maybe, what's one, two, three, four, five, fifth. Most plate appearances against Odorizzi on the, the Yankees roster. He's batting 455 with a home run. Encarnacion's another one, but he's got a really bad batting average, but he does have two home runs. So if I'm looking, if I'm Aaron Boone, I'm looking at Gio Urshela and Cameron Mabin versus Odorizzi as key matchups in game three. But game two, the Yankees are throwing Tanaka. Tanaka morphs into a brand new pitcher when it becomes playoff time. He's pitched 30 playoff innings. He's got an ERA of 1.5. And in 30 innings, he's only surrendered three home runs. Only three. And he's good for pretty much a strikeout in an inning. 25 strikeouts, 30 innings pitched. And for that, in, in game two, or no, in game three, we're looking. Mabin's getting the start in center field. Gardner to left. Sit John Carlos Stanton. And uh, and for Game 3, Severino on the Yankee side, he's looking for some revenge. After in 2017, the AL wildcard game against the Twins, he allowed three runs, got one out. Yankees still won 8-4, to four, but Severino's looking for, I can get revenge, was the quote from him. So I know I'm jumping around, so let's, let's focus on Game 2 here. So Game 2, we have Tanaka in the playoffs. Not we. I'm not part of the Yankees, but I'm saying we as fans, we are going to be watching Tanaka in the playoffs. Guy's got ice in his veins. But we all know that the Twins have a very potent offense. Now, this Randy Dobnak, no one's really sure about him. As a person, and you're going to hear this at nauseum over the next, what is it, uh, 24 hours or so, 12 hours, I should say. As a person... Dobnak's kind of pretty cool, actually. He drives for Uber and Lyft, and he's got a he brags about a 4.99 Uber rating. You're gonna hear that a hundred more times. 4.99 Uber rating as a driver, not as a passenger. And just like I am upset with like my one bad rating as a passenger, he has sort of the same thing as a driver. He said, he told MLB.com in August, I have all five star reviews except for one. I have one four star. I'm hoping it was a mistake. I don't remember doing anything bad. And that is kind of funny because 
you know, anybody that knows me knows I like to win at like everything I do, like every single thing I do, whether it's like a race or like just, you know, tying my shoes. So I was very surprised one day when I was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to check my Uber rating. 4.89. Are you kidding me? 4.89. It was five. Also as a person, Randy Dobnak got married like a week ago as a pitcher. Are you guys familiar with, um, what's that game called? MLB The Show? MLB The Show. You guys ever heard of it or played it? When you make your own player, the road to the show, you know? And you always like make him real tall and jacked. Basically, Aaron Judge, you know? So this guy, Randy Dobnak, pitcher for the Twins, started the season, this season, in A ball in Fort Myers, Class A. Moved right through Double A Pensacola and right through Triple A Rochester. And he got the call to the show in August. See, I told you I like to win at things. So my player, my, my creative player gets the call up in about August too. But this is in real life. This is real life. And when he got to the show in August, when he got to the Twins, four scoreless innings. That's like a meteoric rise. Like, you don't really see that. Like I said, it's like your creative player. But can he handle the show? Can he handle Yankee Stadium in the playoffs? Nine games, 1.59 ERA, 28.1 innings pitched. This is career now. One home run, only five walks, which is for Rocco Baldelli, the manager of the Twins, probably a, a big sigh of relief since there were like, what, eight walks tonight or something like that? Five walks, 23 strikeouts. He's pitched against the Red Sox, the Indians, and the Nationals, but also the White Sox, the Tigers, and the Royals. Not against the Yankees, not against any Yankee players, I don't think, what I couldn't find, but for teams over 500, this is how he's fared. 2.77 ERA, five games. 13 innings pitched, three walks, 6.2 strikeouts per nine, one home run and five runs. They turned to him because he's a ground ball pitcher. Let's go to James in Wisconsin. You're on the fan. Hey, hey, Danielle, first time caller. Oh, good. Nice to have you. But I bet I'm the first one from Wisconsin calling in, huh? You are, yes. Uh, we got yeah, Alaska last week, but Wisconsin's new. Oh, is that right? Alaska? Cool. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. great win. Yeah, great win. Uh, I still think it could go four games, but I wouldn't be surprised either with a sweep. What would you think, uh, then, which pitcher would give the loss out of the Yankees? Would it be Game 2, Tanaka, or Game 3, Severino? I just, uh, that's a good question. Maybe maybe the Game game 3 in Minnesota. But, yeah, know. you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised with a sweep either, you know. So, um, yeah, you know, big series, Houston and New York, you know. Um, that's what everybody's counting they're, on. They're on a collision course. Yeah, and then they have been for a very long time. James, thanks for hanging on. Appreciate the call, and and yeah, I mean we're we're going through the twins. Whether it's three games, four games, I, I haven't met anybody that thinks it, it's going to go to the full five. I mean, even like I opened with, even the comments on the twins articles on Minnesota newspapers. What was the quote? Oh, I can't find it right now. But they they are so pessimistic, pessimistic that that they don't even think they could make it. I think the quote was the, the guy said he. Or, or the girl who wrote it said they would be surprised if they didn't get swept. And that's kind of what we're working with. The Yankees are a yes, the juggernaut. And this Dobnak, he, uh, like I was just saying, he, he, he's a, a ground ball pitcher. 
And Rocco Baldelli, the manager, he cited his, when you look at Odorizzi versus Dobnak, right? Dobnak gets a, a 52.9% ground ball rate. And Odorizzi is only a 35% ground ball rate. So in this crisp October air in New York, short porch and right, you really, as a manager, don't want the ball in the air flying out of the park. And with Dobnak, he's hoping that because there will be more ground ball outs, theoretically, ground ball ground balls put in play, there then would be theoretically more ground ball outs. In conclusion, less home runs. That's basically the, the line of thought. And and uh, Baldelli said it's it's a fine line. It was not an obvious move in any way. But I think in this ballpark, the guy that throws the ball, keeps it on the ground pretty well, was a good guy to go to. Dobnak has been throwing the ball great for us, so I thought it made sense. And and Baldelli, who's a first-year manager, is coming out with that. I, I, I kind of like the move. I mean, if, if, I, if I am a Twins fan, I like the switch. And I don't know if they ever said, came out and said Odorizzi was going to be the pitcher for game two. I think everybody just assumed that. But again, if I'm a Minnesota Twins fan, I like the reasoning. You'd have to like the reasoning. The problem is that the Yankees, less so this year than last year, are relying less on the home run ball. And that's something that's very welcomed to, to I guess, me, the uh, the old school kind of person in that sense. But they're not, I mean, they're hitting a lot of home runs. Second in the major leagues in the regular season with 306. You know that. But they also have guys that can grind out in a bat. Sound like a Mickey Calloway here. Grind, grind it out. Um, they have guys that can grind out at bats, like Brett Gardner, who sees a ton of pitches, like Glaber Torres, like DJ LeMayhew. And those are the guys that that really get to a starting pitcher and really make them work. Full counts. I mean, Aaron Judge is good, and, and you heard the expression when when Aaron Boone got thrown out that first time on that hot mic. Says we're we're savages in the box. Well, kind of like yeah, because they know they have a good strike zone plate discipline as a team. So, and, and another reason is probably because this Dobnak has only what is it three walks for teams over five hundred. That, that he's faced in his, his very short career. I think it's uh it's it's not many games. I think it's like sixteen games or something like that. I don't if if that if that when when he produces a ground ball, batting average against is two thirty four. That's not so bad. More of your calls after the break, eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Let's keep it going. Game two, Yankees twins later on today. Can we just talk? I like this. This is a good choice. I like this one. Um, so I'm Danielle McCartan, back with you on The Fan. It's 3.23 a.m. Lots more to go. I'm here with you until 6 in the morning. Hope you're being entertained. Let's get these phones ringing. 877-337-6666. And uh, let's go back to the Yankees. I mean, we are. WFAN is the New York Yankees flagship station. So, you know, the Yankees are set to take on the Twins at the stadium at 5.07 p.m. Eastern time. And you got a, a pitching matchup that really no one saw coming, really. I mean, I know I didn't. I shouldn't say no one. But Randy Dobnak is taking on Masahiro Tanaka, which you would think after seeing the way the Twins play tonight would be somewhat of a cakewalk. I mean, the Yankees did win 
tonight. Um, and and the Twins bullpen was somewhat under talked about, but then over talked about, overstated. Basically, their strength was their bullpen, like the Yankees. They're built. The Twins and the Yankees are built very similarly. The problem with the Twins bullpen is well, besides the fact that they caved. Well, it's three. There's three rookies in that, uh, and I'm going to butcher their names. But Graterall, he's a rookie. Stashak, he got rocked tonight, and Smeltzer, rookies. So will their 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 youth, their inexperience, catch up to them? Versus a now more experienced Yankees team. Let's head up to Westchester. Marty, you're on the. Marty, you're on the fan. Yes. Uh, good morning, Danielle. How are you? Um, a good game last night, obviously terrific. Um, with uh, Masiero Tanaka's track record in October, mm-hmm. I'm very optimistic that the Yankees can jump uh, to a two nothing lead against the Twins. Yep. Which I think is very important because you really want to put the Twins in as deep a hole as possible going back to Minnesota. And um, what can you say about uh, LeMayhew? I mean, he makes the error early in the game, which fortunately doesn't hurt the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And he just, he just does what he's been doing all year, come up with a clutch hit with men on base. It's just amazing. When he dropped that ball, when, when that ball hit him in the glove, I should say, and it dropped to the ground, I think every Yankee fan said to themselves, oh, no, it's going to be one of these kind of games. Yes, I certainly thought so, too. But uh, listen, he proved he's human. And um, uh, also, Glaver Torres with, with a big hit to make it 5-3. to three. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a team. They really worked the count uh, tonight also. They did. Which was a big factor. So, uh, all in all, just a great way to start the playoffs. And, uh, and we'll see what happens. I, I thought at the beginning they, they'd win in four games. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, but I, and thanks for the call, Marty, and thanks for holding on. Uh, you have to be, if you're a Yankee fan, you have to be absolutely, like he just said, very optimistic about Tanaka's track. I'm going to use his words, Tanaka's track record. I mean, he's got 30 innings, playoff innings pitched, ERA of 1.5, only surrendered three home runs, and he's like good for like a strikeout an inning. I mean, come on. What more can you ask for? Well, maybe you can ask for him to go maybe into the fifth inning. Sixth would be great. Um, but, you know, you, you run into a guy named Sano. Not Cano, Sano. He's a huge threat. But he chases a lot of balls, too. And Lifetime versus Tanaka, 0 for 3. So there's two ways to look at that. Does Tanaka really have his number? Or is he due for a hit eventually? And then another thing. I don't know if this was understated or what, but did you guys know that the Twins were the best road team in baseball in the regular season? They were. They was they were fifty five and twenty six when they were away from Target Field. And extrapolating that farther, Minnesota was one of the best road teams like ever. Actually, there were only four teams in history that had more road wins in a season. The two thousand one Mariners were first place, or you know, first followed by the 2018 Houston Astros, then the 1971 Oakland Athletics, and then the 2019 Minnesota Twins. So if that, this was very important for them to win this game tonight, or last night, and they didn't. And the Yankees are the third best home field advantage team, followed by, I think the Dodgers are one, 
and the Astros are two or flip-flop them, and the Yankees are third. So look at that, Dodgers and Astros. The two teams the Yankees are going to have to go through in order to get to the World Series. So I heard a call the other day that they, they said home field isn't a, a big advantage. Are you kidding me? Home field advantage is, is everything. It's what you play for. It's what the Yankees are playing for down the stretch. The stadium had to have been rocking last night. Wish I could have gone. And another player to watch, Giancarlo Stanton. You know, he played the last two weeks of the regular season. Nine games, I think it was, in total. He hit 286, which isn't so bad. 382, 571. But a lot of people are pointing to the fact that that looks like his line when he won the NL's Most Valuable Player in 2017. Well, that's all well and good. However, tonight, um, he really he kind of stunk up the place a little bit tonight. At the plate and in the field. And I talk about the, the, the one fumble he had in, in left field and another misplay on the dive. I mean, on that dive ball, he, he moved to, I guess it was his right, his, his non-glove side, I guess it was, and he went to dive for the ball. I mean, he wasn't close. He wasn't close at all. It skipped and it went all the way to the fence. That's a big mistake. And then even a bigger mistake is this. I mean, I'm a coach. I used to play, still play. What are you thinking in swinging at a 3-0 pitch? 3-0. They teach you that in Little League, right? I mean, 3-0 pitch, take it. Let the pitcher throw you a strike. Okay? Stanton thinks, well, I'm going to ramp up on this ball. Two outs, runners on second and third, 3-0 count. And the Yankees are losing by one in the game. My God, come on. He was out by, I mean, it was a bang-bang play at first. But then again, you're in basically what turned out to be like a foot race with, with Sano, third baseman, who's like, like 300 pounds, a little under. And he still got thrown out? Either he's showing his true colors or he's just not up to the task. Or or he's hurt. Still hurt. Re-aggravated. I, I don't know. And if you're Aaron Boone, I mean, he's making all this ton of money. Do you leave him off the ALCS roster? I don't think so. I mean, I would like to. But I don't think he will. And then what happened with, with the Yankees was Lemay, you got hit in the glove with a with a ball, a pop up. Well, the same thing happened to a a raise the twin second baseman. Same thing, basically started off the inning, the rally, the first rally. And I knew even down one nothing, the Yankees. What was it, three two at one point? I think. See, I knew, and I wasn't worried for for whatever reason. I just I wasn't worried watching this that they might lose the game, even with this uh, alleged you know, number one in the AL bullpen of the Twins, I wasn't worried because, I'll tell you this, the Yankees were crushing the ball. The Yankees, every out, almost every out, except for Giancarlo Stanton's in in the bottom of the first, but I'm not picking on him. But a lot of the outs, a lot of the foul balls were hard-hit balls. They were knocking the 
cover off the ball. I mean, Encarnacion. Everybody thought that was a home run to left field. I mean, by the hairs on its chinny chin chin, on on by the thread, it missed the foul ball. Later on in the game, Aaron Judge, same exact spot. I'd be like, I would like to be a fan in that section with my glove. Maybe they got two, two balls. So, as a, I wasn't worried sitting there watching that, like, okay, ooh, the Yankees are in trouble. Uh uh-uh. uh, they were crushing the ball. And then they were working the count is another thing. And in the bottom of the fifth, when Glaber Torres ripped that one down the left field line, which, you know, they didn't have a good camera angle on it for a second. I thought it might have been foul. The one that hit the bat boy, right? That was a 3-2 count. But even more astounding was that count started as an 0-2. Torres worked it to 3-2 and then delivered what pretty much was the beginning of the end knockout punch for the Twins because that was two RBIs and then it set up first and third with one out. Then Sanchez struck out, Didi struck out. And then the bottom of the six happened. LeMahieu with a no-doubter. Gardner pulled one down the right field line, second deck. That was, By the way, that was only his second career postseason home run. Think about that. Gardner is the only active player still on the roster from the World Series in 2009. Active. I know CeCe's there, but he's not active for this series. Gardner's been playing a long time. At least 10 years, right, since he's been in the World Series, and he's only hit two postseason home runs. Hmm. That kind of, I kind of, that things that make you go, hmm. And that was one of them. And probably my favorite moment of the night happened in the bottom of the seventh. Mayhew walks up to the plate. The mics pick up the sound coming from the stadium. The announcers are quiet. I kind of like that sometimes. The chance of MVP, MVP started to break out all over Yankee Stadium. And instead of tensing up, you know, as a hitter, you tense up in your shoulders especially, pop it up, you know, drop your shoulder, pop it up, because you want to get a hit so bad. The whole 49,000 people are chanting MVP for you. LeMayu, cool as a cucumber. Step to the plate, two outs, bases jammed, bases juiced. Takes a slider, rockets the slider down the left field line. Clears the bases. 10-4 Yankees, double for DJ. Pretty much game over at that point. Now, when you look at the Yankees' record, 103 and 59, and the Twins, 101 and 61, you'd, first glance, you'd say they're pretty evenly matched, right? 103 wins, 101. You got to remember, guys, that the Twins play in a division with the Tigers, the Detroit Tigers, who stopped playing for anything in, like, May. The Chicago White Sox. And a little bit better, the Kansas City Royals. And the Royals let go of their manager. So they're pretty bad. That's by far the worst division in the league. So the Twins 101, in my opinion, is a little bit inflated. You can't really go by that. Although the Yankees did have the 23rd out of 30 most difficult strength of schedule, which means it's like pretty easy. But the Twins were was even easier, 29th out of 30. So comparing these records is 
pretty useless. And when you look at the Yankees and, and their pitching decisions that they made, leaving CC off, that had to have been because of because of injury concern. There's there's no way they would leave him off. He had a role. His role was going to be a long, long reliever, like Jay Happ. Although they used Jay Happ in a, in a spot tonight as a setup man. He looked like he was in. He was liking it when he came off the mound. He came off with a purpose that inning. And uh, you got Paxton a lefty tonight or last night, Tanaka a righty, Severino a righty, and the Twins on base plus slugging against right-handed pitchers was the fourth best in baseball in the regular season. So this is not going to be a quiet series, I don't think. All right, I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. Let's get to more calls after the break. If you want to talk, we can, we can do some Mets now. We can do some Yankees. And guess what? It's also week five in the NFL season. Got Giants and Jets coming up after the break. Fan FM, New York. I like this one, too. This is good. I'm Daniel McCartan with you guys back on WFAN. It is 3.43 a.m. in the morning in lower Manhattan. And on the drive-in, I had to make this two, two observations. Number one, going over the bridge, they had um, the lights on the bridge were pink. It's October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so I thought that was kind of cool. And um, actually, the guy who does the lights for the bridge is is from the town I'm from. So shout out to them. I don't want to say their names on the air, but that's pretty cool. It's that's cool work. And then the other thing, speaking of lights, was the uh, the Empire State Building, blue and orange. I'm like, well, the Mets aren't playing. And then you know we talked about it on Twitter a little bit, and it's because of the the Islanders open their season tonight, and that's why it's blue and orange. But that's cool for any other day. But you know the Yankees open their postseason today. And I think it should have been Yankee colors today. And get ready, Pat, for the the, the angry Islanders fans calling in. <laughs> but, you know, they, uh, they do bleed blue and orange. But today is the Yankees. And it's the Yankees and Twins in the ALDS. The Yankees took game one. And let's, let's project a little bit forward. When they go back to target field on uh, Monday is game three, regardless. Everybody's going to be talking about the matchup from July that was at Target Field. And sure, there were tons of runs scored, maybe 57 combined runs and 20 home runs. But if you look at the New York Yankees starters in those games, CeCe Sabathia, who is not on the ALDS roster. Next was Domingo Herman, who may never pitch in the MLB again because of his domestic violence issues. And Jay Happ, who is not a starter in this ALDS, and probably not the rest of the playoffs, he was a reliever. Uh, he, he is a reliever. So those three starters are non-factors. Now, bringing out the big guns, either Paxson or Tanaka, the Yankees can decide because they're both going to be on normal rest. So we'll see how, Pax, um, how Tanaka pitches tomorrow, and I'm sure the Yankees brass will make a decision based off that. Let us head out to warm, sunny, probably Scottsdale, Arizona. Jeff, you're on the fan. Hey, Daniel. How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Once again, a great show. Thank you. Appreciate taking it. my call. Anytime. What hey, do you got? So, I want to give a. Uh, I want to give Aaron Bruin 
sorry, Aaron Boone in the uh, Yanks and props, but especially Aaron Boone because <clears throat> I think that he did his best uh, Belichick impersonation today in showing that with with him and Ottavino, when Nelly Cruz was up in a very crucial point, mm-hmm. that they picked out the person that they are not going to let beat them. And Nelly Cruz and his boomstick are the heart and soul of the Twins' bats. And I think that the Yankees' formula is if you subdue Nelson Cruz and keep him quiet, then there's nothing to feed off of. And Ottavino coming in and walking him was fantastic. That's not the I worst thing. Yeah, that, that's not the worst thing because what kind of damage could he do from first base? Well, he can't do any. And, exactly. and that's just it. And right. You want to give up some solo shots here and there, that's fine. But Nelson Cruz is the heartbeat of that team. And Rocco Baldelli, great manager. Um, but the resurgence and the power, everything comes from Nelson Cruz. And I really feel that if you can keep that guy's pulse down, that the Yankees are going to win it. And it's, it's very Belichick. You, you take out their best player. Yeah, I, I didn't think of it that way. And I'm just looking at the stat line here. Cruz, tonight he was one for three, one run, one RBI, two walks, two strikeouts, and he left two runners on base. 333 average. That's uh, that's pretty good. Don't let him beat you. Yeah. Daniel, great job again. I hope to hear more of you. Thanks again from Scottsdale. Take care. Uh, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Cool. From Scottsdale all the way. Um, so while the Yankees are rolling, the Mets not so much. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's just they're in a little bit of turmoil, a little bit of chaos. And, and I teased it in the open. And I want to talk about the managerial stuff going on with the Mets. Because Mickey Calloway was let go on Thursday after two seasons. And as was his bench coach, Jim Riggleman. Now... The Mets need to get someone in the building, in my opinion, that knows what he, or dare I say it, she, is doing. Because the Mets, with a bolstered bullpen and a surefire center fielder, or and or maybe even a marquee third baseman, they're ready to win now. So for that end, to that end, they need a manager who is tried and true, with experience, and ready to win now as well. And Brody Van Wagenen came out and said, we have, this is a quote, we have spent a good amount of time identifying an expansive list of potential candidates and we'll start to do detailed diligence on these people. Now, this has turned into a who's who of new people, old people, first-time managers, experienced managers, and it's just a laundry. If you Googled Mets managerial candidates, there'd be um, like a million. And so Van Wagenen also said that money had never and will never be a factor into the decision for Callaway or for the new manager, which Mets fans are probably like, hmm. And he also said that in making this decision about Mickey, I never asked the question to Jeff Wilpon about the price. I didn't make recommendations based on what was owed to Mickey or the expectations for the new manager. So Mets fans must be pretty hopeful that Van Wagenen has gotten the Wilpons to pry open their pocketbooks during his tenure there. So far, right? So maybe he can get them to do the same with their next managerial candidate. So to that end, there's a very short list for me. 
But Brad Asmus, Robin Ventura, they declined the interview two years ago for the Mets. Cut them out. Done. Don't even let them in the building this time around because if they didn't want the Mets when they were at their worst, they don't deserve them at their hopefully best, but definite uptick. So furthermore, the Mets are in win-now mode. There's no room for error. There's no room for growing pains or growing on the job, as evidenced by Mickey Calloway's firing. So that, to me, that means that the Mets are not bringing in someone with little to no experience. The only pick for me for the Mets, Joe Girardi. And I know David Wright came out and said, I heard it this morning on the Steve Summer Show, I guess it was, that David Wright was not interested in pursuing a managerial position. Well, how about a bench coach position? Joe Girardi and David Wright. Joe Girardi is well-respected. He managed the Yankees to a World Series championship 10 years ago, almost exactly. And in his 10 years there, he's won a World Series and he's been to the playoffs six times. He even got a rebuilding Yankees team to within one game of the World Series. What an overachievement that was. An understated overachievement that was. And on Thursday, the Mets should have sent the car for Joe Girardi same day. And early, unsubstantiated reports are that it's Joe Girardi's job to turn down. And the Mets, in New York fashion, must make him an offer he cannot refuse. As manager of the Yankees, he was 910 in 710. Sixth best in franchise history behind the names of McCarthy, Torrey, Stengel, Huggins, and Houck. Then Girardi. Another plus, he's a catcher. Catchers are the best managers, in my opinion. They have the most broad overall knowledge of the game, yet the most intricate knowledge of the game as well. And Joe Girardi was also an analyst just like Aaron Boone was. So he's got, he still has an expansive and intimate knowledge of, of all the teams. Joe Girardi said, I thought I would, when, when he was fired, one of the quotes I found was, I thought I would be back. That means this guy has something to prove just on the other side of town. He also said, I want to manage again because I love the competition. And the Mets should be in the thick of it next season. And Brody Van Wagenen and A.J. Hinch, I believe their connection is that they played together in college at Stanford. And A.J. Hinch said of Joe Girardi when he was fired, he's a real class act. It's a shame to see so much turnover because of the work, the blood, sweat, and tears poured into this job. And I don't think anybody goes through more than what Joe does in New York. And the con, everybody's going to point to uh, you know, his relationship with his players, his his personality. Girardi said, I, I thought it was really good. He said he even received wonderful text messages from younger players when he was fired. He also said, the only thing about my personality is that I'm very protective of the players. And you have to be these days with social media. 
Or you could be Adam Gase throwing everybody under the bus whenever. My distant number two choice is Joe Madden. Like I said, it's it's Joe Girardi. But if it's not, it's Joe Madden because he led the Cubs to a World Series win, raised to a pennant. And uh, Girardi's coming from nowhere. So he's got seven options for the seven open jobs. Well, we know Madden's not going back to the Twins. I mean, to the Cubs. So that's a one in six chance instead of a one in seven. And Madden had obvious success with managing young superstars, a la Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, for example. And an even more distant number three for me is Buck Showalter. Buck Showalter basically has never, he's more of a fixer. He's more of a Bill Parcells type. And he's never even managed a World Series game. And yet you have a guy in Joe Girardi who's not only managed in a World Series game, he's played in them and he's won them as both a manager and a player. And the only the, the, a positive for Buck Showalter is say, that said he, he he was talking to Steve Summers the other night. He said he was a team player. He, he well, it's more of a and the caller this morning alluded to it a little bit. It's more of a a, a give and take now. It's not manager is the dictator. And can Joe Girardi be that? Will Brody Van Wagenen allow him to to make all the decisions or be part of the team? I, I I don't I don't have the answer to that. I would love for Joe Girardi to come on and talk about this with me, but you know, I mean, stranger things have happened, I guess. More of your calls after the break eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six, and it's Week Five NFL action too. So let's get some Jets and Giants talk going as well. I'm Danielle McCartan on the fan. Hey everybody, it's Daniel McCartan back with you, 4.05 p.m. on the East Coast in New Jersey, specifically, I mean, on the East Coast in Lower Manhattan. I think I'm home. My God. Uh, I'm Daniel McCartan. I think we might be calling this McCartan after midnight. I like the alliteration. It's pretty cool. Um, If you have not reached out to me on social media, we can shout that out now, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter. And then on Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan there as well. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of stuff coming through about the Mets. Mets are the hot topic, although the Yankees are uh, are running the town. Still playing baseball, yet the Mets are not. But the Mets are still making headlines. So if you guys want to go there, we'll go there. Um, at, right before the break, I was just explaining that, for me, the only pick for the Mets manager is going to be Joe Girardi. And I love the idea of a bench coach of David Wright. I'd be very intrigued to see if he'd be interested in that. He's a great players guy with the managerial type mind, well-respected, well-beloved among all Mets fans and all and a lot of just regular baseball fans. So it, it the only pick for me for the Mets is Joe Girardi. For and for him, I mean it's a, I would think it's an easy choice because he lives locally. So there's no need to uproot and go across the country or whatever. It's an enticing lineup with a A plus pitching staff, starting pitching staff at least. So I'm like wondering, what's taking so long? And is too long? Is it the longer the better? 
don't you want to lock a guy like that up immediately? I mean, I know the Mets have money things, and I know Girardi's going to be a lot more expensive than than Mickey Callaway, but I guess you get what you pay for, right, in life? And please, I just hope the Mets do not make the same mistake as the New York Jets. And what I mean by that is that the Jets passed on Super Bowl winning Mike McCarthy for the likes of bottom of the barrel Adam Gase. And I hope that the Mets do not pass on Girardi for some unproven person because you're going to waste the prime years of DeGrom, of Syndergaard, Alonzo, McNeil, Conforto even. So they need somebody in that that knows what they're doing. Vernon in Manhattan, you're on the fan. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? Good, how are you, Vernon? <clears throat> okay. Um, I want to uh, present a, 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 the issue which you're saying. Uh, it's going to be a one-two punch. I'll uh, bring in Girardi as the uh, manager. Mm-hmm. And here's something that sounds a little weird but could help. I'll bring in Dusty Baker as the bench coach. Hmm. That's the one-two punch. I know he's already been a manager before, Dusty Baker, but I think the combination of those two would make a great point. And I have a question for you. You can see uh, how you answer the question. In 2020, let's say, for example, has come back. Mm-hmm. Good, healthy guy. He does excellent for the uh, Mets in 2020. His contract is up. This is my question for you. Would you re-sign him back? Anyway, have a nice day. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that. Cespedes. You know, it's like a loaded question because the Mets do, in fact, play better. It's it's statistically proven. The Mets play better when Yuenis Cespedes is in the lineup. The problem is he's never really in the lineup. You know, he, he's been out. Where, where is he? Uh, he? Is he golfing? Didn't he hurt his feet golfing or whatever? He hasn't been around. The Mets are playing, was it this year? They were playing in in Miami, and he was he didn't even go and visit the team, and they didn't want to visit him. So what does that tell you? He's a free agent in after 2021, and he's he's been on the injured list in 2017 making $22.5 million. He's been on the injured list in 2018, making $29 million. And he's been on the injured list in 2019, making $29 million. Next year, he's got a full no-trade clause, making $29.5 million. And then he's a free agent. Get rid of him. He'll be, what, 30, he's 33 this year. He'll be, what, 30, 35 at that point? Done deal. Let him go. Let him go. Definitely, without a doubt. Rico, all the way out in L.A. You're hey, on the fan. Hey, how you doing? I'm not your big Mets fan. And, uh, hey, good, good, welcome to late night. Good, <laughs> Thank good, you. Good stuff. Cause, yeah, well, I kind of agree with you with Joe Girardi. I think it's taken so long because they want to see what, what, what plans he has for the infield, what plans he has for the pitching staff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's like it's easy to say, "Hey, find a stud third baseman like uh, Tony Two Bags over there," but uh, but 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 you know, you know, you know that the Wilpons aren't going to go for that kind of money. I mean, basically, 
I like the idea, like you say, catchers, because they spend the whole, their whole career in foul territory, have a different understanding of the game than most other people who become managers. And, uh, and Tory's original position was a catcher. But the parenthetical was, I remember he, when he managed the Mets and lost 99 games a year for three years before going to the Yankees becoming a legend. So it took him three years to get the, get the, get the bugs out. Mm-hmm. But someone that could handle the pitching staff, someone that could get inside Diaz's head and, and make him learn how to pitch again, because, you know, I mean, Callaway was basically for mucks. He, did, he, he left guys out there to burn. He figured they would work their way out. Uh, and I hope they find a way to bring back the Hawks as a pitching coach. Because that guy really had a way to speak to these kids. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of what I see. I, I think Cora may be, may be another runner-up because he's another guy that went to the Red Sox and actually made those guys play. Uh, I agree with you. I don't like Showalter because he's out of touch with the younger kids. And uh, but the strange thing is, seven out of the eight managers in the in the playoffs right now are first year managers. There you go, they're yeah. rookie managers, you yeah. know, and uh, yep. and they're, they're basically analytic guys. So um, I, I think the key is who can work with the pitches, who can make Diaz, you know, learn how to spot his pitches again, as opposed to like you know, kind of be predictable. Yeah. And uh, who's going to want to make? Who's going to reach out even to, to like like I said, there's some chemistry that happened. I mean, Rosario actually. With, with Cano, even though Cano's a nightmare in the first half, mm-hmm. developed some kind of chemistry and kind of evolved, look, starting to look like a shortstop, which is kind of, I was the first time in three years I've seen him look like that. Well, I wouldn't credit, uh, wait, I'm going to stop you right there. I wouldn't credit that all to Cano. I, I, I do, I did see that, that um, Rosario went like headlong into stats and, and um, analytics, and that's how he fixed himself at shortstop. Well, I remember in the bat he took where he was totally fishing outside, and Cano threw a handful of uh, sunflower seeds in his head and like smacked him. So he was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> oh, oh, I was talking in the field, but <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. yeah. I'm talking about things, yeah, things like that. But, but uh, yeah, I like to hear more about what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Rico, all the way in La La Land over there, he has a real good finger on the pulse of of the Mets, and I think. All that is true. I mean, yes, you need somebody that's going to be able to f- figure out Edwin Diaz, whether you're going to keep him or package him up enough to trade him. But I think that by getting out in front and saying that Noah Syndergaard will be back with the team and Edwin Diaz will be back with the team next year, I think Van Wagenen did that on purpose on that same call to be up front with the managerial search, to let the candidates know exactly what they're going to be working with and what they're expected to do in a way. Like you see that and you're like, okay, all right, I know I have Syndergaard back. So there's going to be no distraction there. If you're the, if you're the manager and I know I have to figure out Edwin Diaz and you know what? Keeping Syndergaard, it's a pretty good move because you know, 2019, he was a little bit down, you know, people considered him down. His ERA was 44th in the league ranked higher than, Oh, I don't know. Masahiro Tanaka, for example, who's pitching, Today, later today, in game two of the ALDS, quality starts, 24th in the league, also ranked higher than Tanaka. Innings pitched, total, I guess, 16th in the league, ranked higher than Wheeler, which we'll get to in a second. And pitches per inning, like efficiency, 17th in the league, which is ranked higher than Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer. Both are pitching in the postseason. And Wheeler, I think that would be the final send-off for Wheeler. If they're keeping Syndergaard, they're not keeping Wheeler. They're going to let him walk in free agency. And let me do a little hashtag McCartan math. Do we have time before this? 
We'll wait for after the break for my McCartan math. Let's go out to who was first on here? I can't remember. I think it was Carmen in Linden. You're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good, Danielle. Uh, just a couple points. Uh, I I don't see. I call him Van Wagen. I call him Volkswagen. I don't see him and his ego, and I I don't see him in any way, shape, or form hiring Gerard. I, I really don't, especially when he's looking around and seeing uh, seeing the other guys, the rookie managers and everything. I, I wish that would happen. I'm a Girardi lover and a Yankee. I really believe that that would be the answer. But I, I really don't see that happening uh, because of that. And one other point, what amazes me is the, the, the Mets manager, who is no longer, was – a pitching coach, mm-hmm. right? And the Nets wind up bringing in the 85-year-old guy. I'm bad on names. Here's Wiggleman. a guy who was a pitching coach. I can understand him messing up. Um, even even He shouldn't mess up a double switch. But he, he they had to get an, a, a pitching coach, 85 years old, when this is this guy's background. And he seems like, he, he, you know, he he couldn't even do that right. But my, my, my again, my my main point is here: uh, the Mets really do need a, a Girardi. Uh, they really need a manager that knows knows what he's doing. They're at that point where I don't think a younger manager. I, I think they need a guy that's been around the block yeah. and knows how to win, and especially is in New York. I, 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 that's, you know, that's my feeling. I think the Yankees, it's, it's amazing uh, what, what the Yankees are doing, what, what, you know, what, in these two years with, with him having two, you know, 100 wins each year. But I, uh, I just would like to see the Mets turn the corner, and, and I just believe that uh, they, won't, they won't hire Girardi. Have a good night. You're, I, I, appreciate, I, I enjoy listening to you. Thank you. Thanks, Carmen. I appreciate it. Um, sounds like a pessimistic Mets fan. Have some faith. Van Wagenen opened up the pocketbooks of the Wilpons once. He could possibly do it again. And Doug in Long Island, if you can make this quick, you're on the fan. How are you, Daniel? Good. How are you? Um, when did he open up the Wilpons' pockets? Because didn't the Cano trade, didn't they get rid of money with Swarzak? They got rid of money with Bruce. And I, I know they took back more on Cano, but Jed Lowry was like $20 million. I don't really see them. How about the DeGrom deal? Up. How about the DeGrom deal? The, the, the DeGrom deal, I mean, that's all homegrown. And, and it's because we gave them that money, we can't even keep Wheeler. And the fact that they keep in Syndergaard has nothing to do with Syndergaard. They have to do with Wheeler pricing himself out of the Mets' range. That's why the Mets are saying they're going to keep Syndergaard, and just like he says, money's not an issue, I don't believe, if a good deal comes up, they'll trade Syndergaard too. I just, you know, what is he supposed to say? But didn't it, you just say that there's seven of the eight managers left in the postseason or first year? Correct. Or the call of, that's definitely not true, because Cash is like, the Tampa Bay coach is the third longest tenured. The Atlanta coach has been there since yeah, but, 2016. Yeah, but it's, yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, you got Dave Martinez has been there a few years. Roberts Hinch has won a World Series. Yeah, I think Hinch, I mean, Hinch is the only two. incumbent. I'm pretty sure it was on the broadcast tonight. They said it on the broadcast. Yeah, Seven out of eight managers. The third longest tenured coach because the princess had the owner on, 
about his team and how they do with resources. You know how and he goes, you know, Cash is the third longest tenured manager in the baseball. All right, Doug, I'm, I'm up against the break here. I hate to cut you off here, right. um, but we will find that out and, and stay tuned after the break. We will figure that out for you. Uh-oh, uh-oh. So uh, I'm Dino McCartan back on the fan. McCartan after midnight. I think we'll be calling this from now on. Um, great Taylor Swift selection, Pat. I got to tell you, this 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 is a good one. Uh, so we just had a caller, and, I, and we Pat and I looked at each other like we were going to find the answer to this. And I, I I don't have we don't have an answer for this. So about the managers in their first time in the playoffs, um, I don't know. And I get I can bet you money that that caller that said that was watching the same broadcast I was. It was the Yankee game, Yankees Twins. I didn't miss one pitch. And I don't know, maybe it was maybe it was their mistake, but we can't figure it out. So uh, my apologies for that. Um, and let's just go right back into it. Tim in West Orange, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Good morning. How are you? Doing good. Um, I wanted to talk about the Mets Managerals spot opening. Mm-hmm. I love your idea about Girardi with uh, David Wright as a bench coach. Thanks, yeah. Um, Makes I'm sense. Not, I'm not, it does make sense because I actually think the Mets, I would love to see David Wright brought in as the manager, but if they don't want, if they want to get him experience, that's a perfect way to kind of ease him in there. Yep. And Girardi's a good guy to make him learn. Um, what I didn't hear anything about Phil Regan. I know he was the interim uh, pitching coach. If they don't bring him back, let's say they do bring in Girardi with Wright as the uh, bench coach. What about bringing David Cohn in as Girardi's pitching coach for next season? Yeah, and that, that's a that's a good idea too because he obviously has some ties to the Mets in, in pitching and knows what he's talking about clearly. And I would love to ask John Franco and see what he's up to. John Franco, another beloved Mets, former Met. I know he's trying to get a job with uh, Squadra Italia, Team Italy in the World Baseball Classic. So how about a little experience with the Mets um, before he gets there? So, yeah, I like it. Cone, but would he leave the broadcast booth to do that? I don't know. There's a little bit more staying power in the broadcast booth than a pitching coach, I, I would think. I mean, someone's got to ask him, right? Harvey, Ewing, New Jersey, you're on the fan. Yeah. Uh, my question is, uh, several years ago, a couple years ago, they fired three managers that all won over 90 games. Dusty Baker, Joe Girardi, and that guy Farrell from Boston. Now, do you think they'll get all? I I know Gerard will probably get a job. How about how about the other two? Uh, thanks, Harry, for the call. You know, I, I I really don't know. I mean, are they actively looking for them? Is Dusty Baker really uh, looking for a job? For example, I, I don't know. And I mean, not that age is anything, and I'm not being ageist in any way. But at seventy years old, for example, Dusty Baker. I don't know. But there are reports that Dusty Baker's in the mix for the Mets, so I really don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. Tino in Brooklyn, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Great to be on. You've done a great job so far. I just want to say that. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Foremost. Um, as far as the Yankee lineup goes, I was one of the many Yankee fans that you know, throughout the day was saying, you know, we were wondering why Brett Gardner was in the three hole, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, obviously he produced. Obviously the Yankees scored more runs than any other team 
in the first game of the division series, right? Mm-hmm. But what I'm what I'm thinking about is going forward. I'm thinking about the roster that they put together, right? The reasons why they didn't take Mike Ford on the roster, people like Mike Ford. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about also what Buck Showalter told Steve last night on his radio show. What he told him was that there are many guys that hit home runs in the sixth and seventh innings against, you know... The third time the around. Not, yeah, yeah, the third-tier relievers against maybe the second and third-tier teams, right? Mm-hmm. And you have guys like Cameron Maben that the Yankees put in. Mm-hmm. And I, all, my, my point is just, you know, is this. I have to commend... Brian Cashman, I have to commend the Yankees, uh, you know, front office for putting this team together. They put a 10-4 on 10-4, which is very ironic. And I just want to commend them for that. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Thank you for taking the call. Thanks, Tino. Um, Yeah, Mike Ford was a questionable leave-out. I must say, I must agree with that because when you look at Luke Voigt, who did make the roster, and Mike Ford did not, Voigt ended his regular season one for 33, which is way worse than I thought it was, honestly. Um, And Mike Ford ended the season seven for 12 with a home run and hit 353 in September. Um, I think it was just a matchup thing, honestly. You know, filling out that last and final bench roll, I don't think Luke Voigt sees any action anyway. Um, but that's not to say that, um, what's his name, uh, Mike Ford can be back for the ALCS. Who knows? Depending upon the situation, the pitching situations there. Cameron Mabin was an excellent ad. I'm so happy he's on the roster. And so is Tyler Wade. I think Tyler Wade was a good move too because he is very versatile and in, in, in a lot of different defensive positions that he can play. Infield, outfield, pretty much anywhere. Um, so... If they were looking for a defensive stop, for example, or for whatever, Tyler Wade would be the guy. He's not known for his bat, but for his defense, he's very well known. <laughs> I'm going to make a, a, a joke here. Axel in Rosedale. Axel Rose, you're on the fan. You're the first one to break the cro- uh, code there, Danielle. <laughs> and uh, I have a tradition here, and I want to welcome all the new hosts to to the fan. And my, my welcome thing is, Welcome to Hee Haw, okay? Now, listen, the um, first thing about Cohn, I mean, me thinking about David Cohn, I know they say pitching culture, me thinking about Cohn being a manager, there's a lot of people in this audience who would have loved to seen like a remake of Animal House or uh, the second comment of Animal House. That would be David Cohn as a major league manager, folks. That would be Animal House with that guy as the manager. But I would have no problem with him because the guy knows the game. Right. But, you know, the team might, you know, you might have to be bailing the team out, you know, Cashman or whatever, or the Wilpons will have to be flying to Colorado to bail the team out of jail or something. And, you know, because even though they legalized marijuana in Colorado, that doesn't mean the Met pitchers could be token it up on their days off out there. It's against Major League policy. But, you know, something, the Yankee roster is so fluid all year long. I always say it, the, the opening day roster is going to be so much different than the August 1st roster and then the playoff roster. This team has got so many players because Cashman has the money, and they do have a good scouting people to really sign people. If they make a mistake, they obviously can, can correct that mistake with another signing. The Mets cannot do that. 
and and with the Yankees, and I, I really feel this all along. It's a team that really gets hot in October who's going to win this whole thing. There's too many games to be played, and you can see the way players get into slumps. But I hope the Yankees do get hot and win this thing because I really fully expect the last game of the of the you know the season to be won in the South Bronx. And um, quickly with Ted Williams with the shift, I understand people talk about that. Ted Williams, they had, they put the shift on. He refused to go the other way in the shift. This guy, if he would have went the other way in that shift, we might have been looking at the first guy batting a thousand in Major League Baseball. A lot to unpack there, Axel. Thank you, and I appreciate the welcome to the overnights. Um, I, I hope the Yankees get hot, too. And I think one of the main things, main concerns from Yankee fans is that pit starting pitching rotation. And, and I would just like to remind all these Yankee fans that, you know, we need say that say like we need a fourth starter. You don't because in 2009, you know what happened in 2009, right? Yankees won the World Series in 2009 with guess how many starting pitchers? Three. C.C. Sabathia, A.J. Burnett. And Andy Pettit. I'm not sure in that order, but those are the three guys. So if the Yankees, and, and that's the other thing too, if someone's cold, for example, someone else can step right in, as that caller just said. So it's about the money, sure, but it's it's really, the Yankees are really diving into the analytics department and, and in the scouting department. And if, if I may humor you with some, let's say, hashtag McCartan, even Mets math here. Okay, so we know... We think we know that the Mets are going to give up Zach Wheeler and Syndergaard staying. Syndergaard is under team control, and he's just as good. So when you you let Wheeler walk, that the Mets would be picking up a position player from free agency because I, I would think you're letting Frazier go to Wheeler and Lagaris, I would think. I'm going to presume that they're off the books. Okay, That's what I'm operating under. That frees up just about 15% of your payroll, $24 million right off the books. And I looked, there's some slim pickings for center field on the free agent market, and that's where I looked at first because the Mets don't really have a lot of trade capital. Because obviously the number one idea would be Mookie Betts, right? But do the Mets have the haul that the Red Sox would be looking for? No. So look at third base then. You know, so look at third base. You got... Free agency, Josh Donaldson or Anthony Rendon? Well, Donaldson would be more of the economical option, about $18 million estimated market value per year. Yet Rendon is worth $33 million, so that's way out of the Mets price range, Rendon. And pulling a page out of Bryce Harper's book, Rendon did not accept the national seven-year $210 to $215 million offer yet. So... We'll see what happens with that. But either way, he's out of the Mets price range. And then I'd have to say that Mets fans will soon find out if God is, in fact, a Mets fan because they better start praying for J.D. Martinez to opt out of his Red Sox contract. Now, hear me out. Martinez's market value is set at about $23.7 million for next year. It would be a little bit of a stretch. It would require a little bit of crafty maneuverability, some brain power on the part of Brody Van Wagenen. But with Frazier, Wheeler, and Lagaris off the books, $24 million right there. I mean, the Mets, if they really wanted to, could make a move here. You'd have to figure out Diaz. You'd have to add another arm, maybe through the minor league somehow, in the bullpen. But at 32 years old, 
Here's what I would do with Martinez. I'd offer him 20 million, 21 million a year. And just the enticement to join the win now team. I mean, you want a World Series ring? Come and play for the Mets. You are a missing piece, right? That's, that's how I would pitch it to him. And I just said that in letting Wheeler, Lagaris, and Frazier walk out the door, it, it, it'll free up the cash almost to the dollar. And J.D. Martinez offers a little bit of flexibility because he's played in all four outfield positions last year and would be an absolute jolt to the Mets lineup immediately. And the Red Sox are floundering. And the Mets are right on the cusp. And I believe J.D. Martinez is the Mets' missing piece. And what else you can do is you can make McNeil play third base. He's got, I looked, 977 fielding percentage there. And then the Mets can keep Cano and that his ridiculous contract over there at second base. But with a little creativity, J.D. Martinez, a lot of things have to line up. But with a little creativity and a little luck, and maybe an answer to a prayer, the Mets might be able to snag J.D. Martinez. Maybe. That's the initial look into it. That's my, my McCartan math for now. But the Yankees are in the playoffs, so I want to focus more on that. You know, research-wise, there's plenty of time to look at the Mets and, and what they plan to do. And it also depends on how much they're going to be planning to pay manager because you know Mickey Callaway didn't really cost much and that's another reason why I thought they might they should have stayed at least one more year with him you know so they can get the the big name free agent and then see what happens so I don't know that's just my thought I think that I mean I think Brody Van Wagenen's pulling all the right strings to be honest with you because Zach Wheeler at at whatever, $23 million a year is, is a little too much. Okay, after the break, we are doing Jets and Giants. That's it. I made the decision. Get on the phone, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle. Listen to the Giants postgame show for the turning point of the game. Then tune in to Boomer and Geo Monday morning between 9 and 10 a.m. For your chance to win tickets to a future Giants home game. If you're the first person to correctly identify the turning point. Here on your flagship station for Giants talk, tickets, and games. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. Hi, everybody. Again, it's 4.43 in the morning. I am Danielle McCartan. It is, ooh, 44 degrees outside. Ooh, I don't want to go outside. I just want to stay here. I want to just stay here all day. <laughs> I'm with you till 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm Danielle McCartan, like I just said. So I'd like to do some football. So let's let's do some football. It is week five in the NFL, and the New York Giants have had some uh, some injury news, as you just heard. Saquon Barkley, the best running back in the entire NFL, is feeling better. So Giants fans, I have a message for you, and so does John Bon Jovi. Keep the faith, because he was given a four- to eight-week timetable for return, but after like, what is it, 14 days? He, he's... Cutting in practice it, from our friend Art Stapleton, and this is what he said. Barkley stretched and on Wednesday. Barkley stretched and worked out with the training staff during the media access, doing some light running and what appeared to be an intense change of direction drills. Looked very good, like himself, jumping and cutting with a football in his hands. So 
Saquon Barkley, maybe not this week, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably next week he'll be back. So keep the faith. Also keep the faith because the defense versus the Washington Redskins played way better. I'm talking Jabril Peppers had a pick, pick six. Hopefully his first of many big moments as a Giant. Last week we talked about Janoris Jenkins' comments when he called out the pass rush. We debated on air whether it was going to be a call to action or an indication of a splintering locker room. That's where we had left it. In the week four of the Red, versus the Redskins, the Giants stepped it up immensely. It was a call to action. The defense sacked Case Keenum, Redskins' Case Keenum, three times. And the Giants, oh, don't look now, but the Giants have 10 sacks on the year, tied for 14th. Respectable, considering it only registered 30 sacks in all of last season, which was 30th in the league, tied. And Jenkins himself played way better. Two interceptions last week, and overall, he was responsible for three of the four of the team's four interceptions. Furthermore, Jenkins accounted for four tackles, three of them solo. And then after Daniel Jones was named Offensive Player of the Week in Week 3, Jenkins was named Defensive Player of the Week in Week 4. And he also had selective amnesia in his post-game interviews about those comments that he made. Well played, Janoris Jenkins. So how do the Giants match up with the Minnesota Vikings? You can't unhear it. That's the Lizzo song. You can't unhear that. So the Vikings are looking for their first road win. And Daniel Jones is 2-0 as a Giants starter. Is this the resurgence of the New York Giants? Some game connections. Of course, Pat Shermer spent two seasons with the Vikings. And Mike Remmers, the Giants' right tackle, started 13 games for the Vikings during the, the season of the miracle that they had. And I think the bigger story coming out of this is Kirk Cousins. The slumping Kirk Cousins. Zero touchdowns versus the Bears last week. He had one big pass play, 39-yarder to Diggs. 4.3 yards per pass only in week four. And here's the thing. We all have sat here and criticized the Jets' poor offensive line play. Really bad, right? How terrible they are. Some people are even suggesting that they should hold Sam Darnold out until they fix the offensive line. The Jets allow on average a 33% pressure rate, right? The Vikings allow on average a 33% pressure rate. So the Vikings' offensive line is as bad as the Jets'. And that very well just might be Dexter Lawrence's coming out party on Sunday. Entering play, he's only registered eight tackles in one sack. Keep an eye on Dexter Lawrence on Sunday. He might have a field day. And then Kirk Cousins. Here's the other weird thing coming out of Minnesota. Cousins missed Thielen often in week four, settling for checkdowns. I think he only had two catches. Thielen in the postgame says, you have to be able to throw the ball. Then Friday... Diggs says there's truth to all the rumors. I think he was speaking in general, but he said he didn't request a trade, but his agent might have. And then Cousins, to sum it all up, says, I look forward to giving him and uh, Thielen and Stefan Diggs more opportunities in the weeks ahead. What? Well, the Vikings passed the ball in the game 43.8% of the time, which is like almost last, 31st. And couple that, and they run the ball second. Uh, percentage-wise, play-calling-wise, second in the league. So couple that with the fact that overall, the Giants' defense looks to be having themselves a little renaissance. They've allowed just six points in the past six quarters. That's like one point per quarter if you think of it that way. 
And that's significant to think of it that way because in the first 10 quarters, they give up 91, which is like nine points a quarter. A quarter. Like I said, they're 14th in the league in sacks, which isn't terrible. Opposing rushers only get 3.9 yards a carry. Giants defense is 10th in the league in that category. Rush defense. Of course, they're going to be going against Dalvin Cook this week, who is one yard off the NFL lead in rushing, three-tenths of a yard off the lead in the league for average yards a game, Christian McCaffrey, in case you were wondering, and tied for first, the most rushing touchdowns by a running back, and that's with Mark Ingram. Plus, you got 1,000-yard receivers from last year, Thielen and Diggs. Will Diggs even be playing? And for the Giants, you got Daniel Jones, who, out of nowhere, has emerged to win Rookie of the Year. Last I looked, 3-2 to two odds. So Saquon Barkley won Rookie of the Year last season. Imagine now, moving forward, that your quarterback and your running back win it back-to-back years. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but imagine. But based on his performance last week, this is where Daniel Jones can improve on passes deeper than 10 yards. Because in uh, he was one for six on those throws with 13 yards, and guess what? Two picks. And the Redskins do struggle against downfield throws. That's kind of glaring. Jones didn't have the best game, but they still won, which circles back to their defensive stand. It's encouraging. Now, the Vikings have the ninth best defense, uh, passing defense in the league. They are no Washington Redskins. But they still surrender a 97 QBR. But then again, they only give up 16 points a game, which is the fifth fewest in the league. So I don't know what to think here. Because the Vikings defense has yet to give up a 40-plus yard play this season. And they've only given up the next section down would be 20-plus yard plays. They've only given up 10. This is a game where the Giants would really desperately need Saquon to be there. At least to give the impression of being multidimensional. But then again, Dexter Lawrence I think is going to be big for the Giants and so is Golden Tate. They got to involve him from the get-go, the New York Giants. Because he's the NFL leader in yards after catch since the year 2010. And we all know he served that four-game suspension. Whether or not it's warranted is a debate from the past. Not useful to argue now. But where can the Giants utilize him? How can they utilize him? Third down in his career. He's targeted in his career 306 times with a 62% catch rate, 14 touchdowns. 126 first downs. So out of all the times that Golden Tate has been targeted on third down, it results in a first down 41% of the time. And where he's most effective is in the range of when you have one to three yards until you get a first down sort of situation. He gets you a first down 61% of the time. Nice little slant route, wide receiver pick play, if you will, maybe. So all things considered, especially the drama coming out of Minnesota, Cousins, Dillon, Diggs, whatever, the star of the game, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's going to be Dexter Lawrence. I think it's going to be his breakout game. As far as the score prediction, well, I think the Giants are going to come out with this. I think it's going to be Giants 20, Vikings 13. 
That's what I think. Let's go to the phones. Robert in Rhode Island, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing very well. Um, loved your take on um, the Giants. Thank you. Um, I, uh, you, did, you did say before that you want to do uh, go to football instead of baseball, but I did have a, a baseball take, go if ahead. that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to commend the the umpire behind the plate tonight. Which game? He, the Yankee game? Yes, Yankee game. Okay. He he never strayed from his strike zone. Mm-hmm. He called it true. I mean, he might have missed one or two, but like it was for, because all the um the the muck that they got all year long. Now it seems like they they got through it and have the best umpires, you know, to date. Yeah, at, finally got it right. It seems right for now. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if I could make another point on um, Golden Tate, mm-hmm. I hated him when he came to the um, NFL. I I, I I rooted for him when he was at Notre Dame, and then um, when he came to the NFL, and he because I, I believe he was on um, the Packers. Or no? I thought it was the Seahawks. I, I, where did he get drafted from? Detroit. Thanks, Pat. Detroit okay. Lions. I, that's right. I, I I apologize. That's okay. But um, he, uh, I thought he was a dirty player, and it's one of those players that that you yeah, root against until he's on your team. And I can't wait to see him help DJ out, and uh, you know, hopefully Saquon comes back. You know, in two weeks, I I, I would actually prefer them sit Saquon the rest of the year, make sure he's what? 100% healthy. No, I think I just, I, I want the franchise to, to, you know, be able to, you know, do what he can do. And I just don't want them to, you know, uh, yeah, to risk get injury. hurt again. Yeah, no, I, I get yeah. it. I mean, take a page out, and thanks for the call, Robert, take a page out of the Jets book. They are not rushing Sam Darnold back whatsoever, but that's different. Saquon, I saw the video. He, he looked all right. He looked fine. And have you seen... That guy's lower body, I mean, maybe you or me would have been out four to eight weeks. Not Saquon Barkley. He's He's got enough muscle groupings t- to make up for that, I think. I think he'll be fine. And did you see him running off with those crutches that day anyway? Hey, Randy, if you can make this real quick, you're on the fan. Yeah, real quick. Uh, I just want to, maybe I'm one of them Yankee doubters, but, uh, you know, everybody's all excited about the Yankees last night. They keep striking out that many times, and I got news for you. They didn't even play a good team or a good pitcher yet. And uh, I, I think against Houston, if they, if, they, if they bat the way that they did with 12 strikeouts, they're going to set the all-time work for, for a single uh, playoff uh, series. Well, and, and isn't that the story of the last time the Yankees went to the playoffs and they ran into the buzzsaw that was the Houston Astros? But... Barrios isn't a bad pitcher, you know, and I know he's no Verlander, obviously, but they'll be okay. Yankees going to be okay, and I'm looking at the strikeouts for the Yankees, 12. That's not so bad. Gardner had two, LeMahieu had two, but he was also hitting 600, LeMahieu, so uh, I'm not so sure about that. Sanchez has three. He had three tonight. That was pretty bad. Three strikeouts. 0 for 3. Urshela is just 0 for 4, no strikeouts there. All right, more of your calls after the break. I'm Daniel McCartan on WFAN. Sports Radio.
And good morning. I'm Danielle McCartan, back with you on The Fan. McCartan After Midnight. We are at 5.05 in the morning. And it's a big weekend. We have, well, obviously the Mets have fired their manager. I mean, they're not playing, but they fired their manager and they're still making headlines. The New York Yankees just took game one of the NLDS, uh, the ALDS versus the Minnesota Twins. Set to take them on later today. Uh, about 12 hours from now. Almost exactly to the minute. 12 hours from now. Um, and that game will be from the Bronx. And the pitching matchup is going to be Ryan Dobnak versus Masahiro Tanaka. And everybody had been expecting Odorizzi for that game. And we'll get into that in a second. And uh, what else is happening? Week 5 of the NFL action. The Giants taking on the Vikings at MetLife Stadium at 1 o'clock. And the New York Jets are traveling down to Philadelphia also at 1 o'clock. I hate when they do that because you, you got to keep trying to flip. I hate that. And, and that's on the docket for um, for this weekend, for the next couple of days. And then the, the Yankees would theoretically be going back to Minnesota on Monday for hopefully, everybody around here is hoping, the sweep. So I opened this morning, way earlier this morning, with uh, the song for the Yankees I picked today was, you got to fight for your right to party. And the Yankees are, oh yeah, they're fighting for their right to party onto the ALCS and the World Series. And, and earlier tonight, or yesterday, that journey began in the Bronx, game one of the division series, which, by the way, was the second longest playoff game in New York Yankee history. And the Twins came into town looking to reverse their fate to slay the Yankee Dragon, to snap that 10-game postseason losing streak to the Savages. Not tonight. Yankees handled them in decisive fashion, winning 10-4 in front of a crowd of 49,233 fans. And done. I don't want to hear about the Twins' momentum, their regular season momentum. They won 21 of the last 30 games. I don't want to hear about how the Twins are the best road team in baseball and in the history of baseball. They're like fourth on the list, 55 and 26. But the key to victory for the Yankees was was going to be jump out early, jump out to an early lead. And the reason why is because August since August 16th, the Twins' bullpen had an ERA of 3.27. Was ranked second in the majors, first in the American League. Better than the Yankees. Better than the Astros. And the Yankees' bats knocked Berrios out, their starter, after four innings and a 3-2 lead. So check that box. And then who in the world could have predicted the absolute implosion by the Twins' bullpen? The best in the American League as of the last two months, and it didn't look like it. I guess that's what the Yankee lineup does to a opposing pitcher, right? Especially in the postseason. I felt Aaron Boone pressed most of the right buttons. Pinch running Cameron Mabin, who stole two bases in a in a hurry in the same single inning. He stole second and he stole third. And for constructing the lineup the way he did, I thought was good. And for setting the rotation the way he did, because that's the way I wanted it. So obviously, I thought that was pretty good. And there was just one move that I didn't like. And I talked about it before, but yanking Adam Ottavino after facing and walking just one batter, I didn't really like that move because at that point it was still a toss-up game. You didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And I felt that, you know, even with that walk, I felt Ottavino still had a favorable situation. I mean, it was only, it was uh, first and second at that point with two outs. So I felt that, you know, he did have some wiggle room with that next hitter at the very least. 
And just that, that very short leash I didn't like for two reasons. One, Ottavino wasn't used like that at all in the regular season, so why start now? And two, it was still early on in the game. What what if you ended up needing him? What if the Yankees' bats did not score 10 runs? What if he needed him? Were you going to go with whom for a long-winded, uh, I guess it would have been Hap, I guess, for a, for a long outing? And I shared this with the audience before, and I, and I just, I loved it, so I'm going to share it with you guys now. Over the week, I you know, I was doing a little research, looking some stuff up, and I tried to get, like, the Minnesotans' point of view, if that's what we're, Minnesotans, of the Yankees-Twins matchup. So I read some articles, and then the comments section killed me. Isn't that a Drake line? The comments going back and forth to Italy, the comments section killing me. Man, you should have seen some comments on these articles because my favorite one of all time was, the Twins have no chance. I'd be surprised if they weren't swept. Well, the Yankees are one game closer to fulfilling that little prophecy for you, Mr. Twins fan or Ms. Twins fan. Player of the game, DJ LeMay, who obviously three for five, four RBIs and a solo home run. The goat of the game, and not the greatest all time, the bad goat, Gary Sanchez. A pass ball, 0 for 3, left five runners on base. Luckily for him, Judge laid out full extension for the third out of that inning, and the pass ball never came to fruition. The run never scored. And also lucky for him, his 0 for 3 was disguised and. Three Ks, three strikeouts, was disguised by the 10 runs the rest of the Yankees lineup put up. So uh, Gary Sanchez has got to pick it up. DJ LeMahieu just has to continue to be one of the most clutch hitters with the bases loaded, including the playoffs. 11 for 16, 688, 27 RBI. Sounds like a great candidate for a cleanup hitter to me. Steve in Manhattan, you're on the fan. You there, Steve? The Bronx, the Bronx Bombers versus the Twinkies. Yankee Stadium, New York City, the South Bronx, Howard Cosell. I'll be back in 60 seconds. Yo, first of all, you hit the big-time drive time. You're in drive time right now. You realize that? I don't care. It's Saturday. New York City, Never people sleeps. go to work on Saturday. Yep. And they're in their car now listening to you. They're popping on the radio. Don't change that dial. Now, uh, Minnesota, the, the nickname, of course, is the land of 10,000 lakes. There's lakes all over the place. And um, one of the big callers to the fan, uh, Leslie from Fort Apache, big, well, this year he's a big Minnesota fan. He must be having some weekend with the Twinkies and the uh, Giants and the uh, Yankees. And um, Leslie said he's going to be watching, listen, he's going to be watching the game with the Philly fans, not the Giant fans, because he called the Giant fans a bunch of drunk. Well, things can get a little rowdy after a few beers here and there, you know. But the thing with the Yankees, I mean, you got to be – I didn't go to the game last night. I would have loved to have been there. I've been to some playoff games and World Series games. I'm not bragging. I just want to let you know the feeling of the game. That park in the South Bronx gets electric. It does get electrified, and the joint does rock in there. I've called the fan during World Series games, and I uh, called the smoother during World Series. you got to at least – get yourself out to at least one or two playoff games. If they go to the World Series, I say they are, go out there and really enjoy it because this ballpark really gets electrified. I don't care how cold it is. It is not cold in the South Bronx when the World Series is going. (laughs) Steve, thanks for the call. Hey, you know what, Steve? Let's make a promise, and I should have had you still on, but if the Yankees make the World Series, you can call me from the World Series, Steve. I will definitely let that call go through. And, And it's funny you say that. I've never been to a Yankee playoff game. Um, in my life. I'd like to. It's on the bucket list, of course. Um, but 
it's funny that he said that because Aaron Judge was asked to describe the um, the atmosphere prior to today's or yesterday's game to describe the atmosphere in um, Yankee Stadium before, you know, during a playoff game or the the hours leading up to a playoff game. And I don't have the actual exact quote, but basically he, he couldn't put it into words. He couldn't pinpoint exactly what it is. He, he said he didn't want to use the word electric. It's just it's just a feeling, I guess, I, I, that I've never experienced because I've never been there during a playoff game. I've been there during, you know what I have been there during? Derek Jr.'s final game. And that, I mean, that was electric. I mean, from the, there was, before the game, there was a little rain, maybe maybe a rain delay, I think it might have been, or just, they started right on time. A rainbow appeared from, like, left field all the way to right field. And then Derek Jeter having his, his walk-off in the way that did. The game didn't matter. The, the Yankees were out of the playoffs that year, but Derek Jeter in that final at-bat, that walk-off hit. Sometimes I think back, and I'm like, that man, that that was that scripted? Or was that real life? I mean, everybody was crying around me. I was crying. It's just, uh, 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 I guess, a goodbye to, to childhood. More Jets, Giants, and Mets coming up after the break. I'm Danielle McCartan on WFAN. And good morning, everybody. That's Danielle McCartan back with you on a Yankees Game 1 win of the ALDS. Must feel good to be a Yankee fan right now. Yankees played well, beat beat the uh, the Twins ten to four. It was a little touch and go for a while until it exploded, which seems to be the Yankees' mo all year. But you know what it also is? It's also Week Five of NFL action. The Giants are set to welcome the reeling, the drama filled Minnesota Vikings to MetLife Stadium this week, and Giants fans have been happily. Probably with some popcorn watching the Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs drama unfold. Is it technically a telenovela? Maybe. So what the heck is going on out there? Why is Cousins publicly apologizing to Thielen? Why do they have 4.3 yards last week per throw? Why is their longest play of last week a 39-yard catch and that's it? Will Diggs even suit up in Vikings purple on Sunday? Or will he be traded to a different team? Because he didn't deny it in a press conference. They asked him point blank, did you request a trade? And he kind of had an almost direct answer back, and he said, well, he didn't do it. But basically, maybe his agent has. He didn't say that part, though. That's me putting that in. And with Golden Tate set to make his 2019 season debut for Big Blue, with Daniel Jones as a starter steering the Giants to a 2-0 record so far, and with the defense that played markedly better last week, do the Giants have a real shot at taking home another W on Sunday? With the drama surrounding the Vikings? I think they just might. I think they might. They have a good chance to. And I think it's going to be a Dexter Lawrence coming out party. I think he's going to have his way with Kirk Cousins over there. And I predicted a Giants 20 Vikings 13 game. As far as the Jets, well, the Jets are 14-point underdogs to the Eagles, the 2-2 two and two Eagles. Deshaun Jackson for the Eagles has been ruled out, but really, does it really make a difference? Probably not. So I tried my best to, like, drum up some interest in this game because, let's be honest, 
How interested could you be in a team whose starting quarterback is pretty much fresh off the practice squad? So what about Sam Darnold's spleen? As of last Wednesday, 925, Darnold was not even lifting weights. A week later, because I've been keeping tabs on this, Thursday, 10-2, October 2nd, he's practicing in a red jersey. Thursday night, he had an ultrasound on his spleen and some blood tests. That determined if he's ready to play on Sunday. And turns out that he's not. That turns into an irresponsible move by Adam Gase. And here it is. He gave Darnold, and his, his words were, a lot of practice reps this week. Now it's Luke Falk's show. And if Luke Falk gets hurt, they're going to turn to Fails, who didn't even practice this, this week. He didn't touch a ball in practice this week. I blame that on Adam Gase. And I'm not wishing injury on Luke Falk. I'm just saying that that would be the situation. And other injuries, and I'll get to your call in a second. Uh, as of last Wednesday, 925, it's not looking like C.J. Mosley will return. He did not practice this past Wednesday, 10-2, Thursday, 10-3, or Friday, 10-4. His issue is not running straight ahead. He said that felt pretty good, but cutting and those type of motions, quotes, are still up in the air. So it's just, he said, trying to find a balance, how to test it full speed without damaging it more. So it goes. But everyone watching that game, the game that he hurt himself, could see just the defense just wither away and fold without him in it. So he's an important piece. And finally, Quinn and Williams look like he'll be questionable for Sunday. That's significant because the Jets will maybe, or maybe not, have their first round number three overall pick back in action on that defensive line. Let's head out to Steve in Westlake. You're on the fan. Uh, good morning, Danielle. Pleasure to speak to you. Oh, thank you. How are you? What do you got? Good. Uh, two things, if I could. Sure. Uh, Yanks and a, and a Jets comment. Yep. First, I think one of the big storylines from last night uh, was Stanton. Because going in because of his past performance and his relationship with the fans, and you could see, I think it was in the seventh inning, when he ended up uh, holding off and checking that swing and getting the walk. By him getting the three walks and not the strikeouts, it could be real dangerous if he gets confidence and he gets hot for the Yankees because it's something that really hasn't happened all year long. What do you think? Or all postseason long last year. So, yeah, Yankee fans are still waiting for him to get hot. Um, but if you, if you pair him in a lineup in a spot where they need to pitch to him, which I think that they did, he was batting one, two, three, four, fifth with Torres behind him. I thought that was pretty comfortable for him. So maybe that's why he drew the three walks, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, I, I was really, you know, I'm not a big Stanton fan. I The way that the young kids played and a lot of hits, even with all the home runs, mm -hmm. you know, I think it just could have been a, a completely different outcome if he would have been 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. It could have had a, an effect on the team. Well, he seems but, to be um, pretty day-to-day. -day. I mean, that could, that could happen to, later today. I mean, you know, it's like he's like, you love to hate him sort of guy. He's like an A-Rod. You know, he's very polarizing, John Carlos Stanton is. Yeah, he is, you know, and, and again, but we'll see. It's a jet question, if I could. Yeah. You made a comment earlier, and maybe just on your on the update, you commented about how Gaze handled the quarterback. When yeah. you said Gaze is, you know, is basically garbage. I am I am a diehard Jet fan, lifelong suffer, sufferer, <laughs> and I am not an Adam Gaze fan. No, me neither. Um, and 
you know, and I know what you said, you know, earlier in an earlier update about McCarthy. And there you could have had that experience. Yep. And I think it's kind of like just a thought process of going to the younger guys and, and having that offensive person. But, you know, I think that we got to give them a chance. I'm worried. And that I think that, again, we're going down the wrong road. I think the one positive that we have at a 2019 is Joe Douglas. Because yes. the Jets have not really have a football operations guy. And I believe that they truly have it in Douglas. So even though he has that relationship with Gaze, I think if Gaze does not manage this team, coach this team well this year, I think Douglas is going to make the change. What do you think? So, yeah, Steve, thanks for the call. And and I don't think Adam Gase is going to make it through the year. And I've been on here saying that before. I don't think he's going to make it through all the Jets' schedule this year. But then again, he could make it through the Jets' schedule this year and, and even come back next year because, think about this, you have Sam Darnold who next year will be entering his fourth year, uh, his third year in the league. So think about this. Sam Darnold, as a senior at USC, was playing in one system. As, let's say, his rookie year in the NFL, he's playing under Todd Bowles' system. His sophomore year in the NFL, he's playing under Adam Gase's system. And now his his junior year, like high school terms, but his third year in the NFL, he'd be playing under a different coach's system. That would be setting this guy back a very long time in a very precarious situation because now he's been in, he theoretically would be in four different systems in four different years. That's something you don't want to do to a young developing quarterback. That's a major disadvantage. And that's why the Jets, it was so important for them to get it right. And they missed, they missed on Adam Gase. I said it when it happened. Why would they not go to Mike McCarthy? And that's what I'm kind of laying out for the Mets now, too. Don't just go with the young guy because he's the young guy in the offensive mind and because he wowed you in the interview. Because with a young team, you got to have someone in there that knows what they're doing. Stuart in Brooklyn, you're on the fan. Good morning, Danielle. It's a pleasure listening to you. Thanks. I appreciate that. What do you got for me tonight? Uh, I got the I got that the Yan- the Yankees came through right. They got they got a lot of hits, but there was still a lot of strikeouts. But that's I guess that's part of the game. <clears throat> but I didn't like was Paxton giving up two home runs, and that the way he he just didn't pitch well. I mean, he had ten straight wins that before coming into this start, mm-hmm. and it seemed to me that he was on track. Um, but, you know, but the bullpen is the bullpen. The bullpen came through big time, and I'm happy with that. But you're right about one thing. Whoever said Stanton uh, took the walks, that shows me that he has, he's locked more in. aware of it. Yep. Locked in. Yep. He's locked in because, you know what, Daniel, last postseason, it was uh, those walks would have, would have been strikeouts. Yep. Without, Free without swinging. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree oh, with yeah. that for sure. I mean, Danielle, it's like he's got to have a mindset of not swinging at that slider that goes all the way outside. And him and Judge, mm-hmm. and Judge especially, has a bad habit of swinging at those pitches that are breaking away from him. Not tonight, though. And there was, yeah, tonight, I, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's improved because tonight, especially tonight, Aaron Judge laid off a one on the on the low outside corner. And, like, froze, you know, we were waiting for the, the call. Was it a ball or a strike? And then 
all of a sudden it was a ball. So, I mean, it was too well, close to take, but luckily right, it was exactly. a ball. But you know, you, you know what the strike zone with the Aaron Judge is, you know, it's just not fair. The strike zone is too, is too uh, yep. mm-hmm. you know, the, they have, they have, all the umpires have their own strike zones, yep. right? And the thing is, with Judge, the strike zone where it should be for a regular guy, it should not be for him. He's six foot seven. He's like a, a giant in a, in a pack of uh, small players. Yep. The yeah, players they... with three, six foot four don't have the same zone as him. Yeah, the, and and they don't adjust it to him. Stuart, thanks for the call. I'm very insightful there. But I mean, we talked about it earlier. I mean, we had a call earlier. It said the exact same thing. And, and they, yes, I totally wholeheartedly agree with that. And we looked up that the fact that I'm pretty sure that he had the most called strike threes on him his rookie year. And maybe is that a case for automated strike zones, for automated umpires, behind-the-plate umpires? Could that be a case? Ah, that would be another argument for another time between the baseball purists and the baseball liberals, I'd say. But the fact of the matter is that that's a good point. By John Carlos Stanton drawing those walks, he is, in fact, locked in. He's seen the ball out of the pitcher's hands, and he's seen that it is a ball coming out of the pitcher's hands. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that point. And and I, I want to show you one more thing to, to watch for in the Jets game. The unsung hero of the Jets is going to be Brian Poole. And you may not have noticed him at all, and maybe that's a good thing, because I'm sure you noticed Buster Screen and how terrible he played. So Brian Poole replaced Buster Screen, so that's a good thing that you don't know about him. But Pro Football Focus rated him at 83.3. That's the highest grade of any NFL quarterback, cornerback this year. He has zero interceptions, though, but that's okay because he hasn't gotten much of an opportunity. He's not targeted often because he's so good in coverage. He's only allowed 10 receptions this whole season. And one of them, you can't even count because it was to Cole Beasley, and it was a negative one-yard play total. He's got 16 tackles this season so far. You know who else has 16 tackles this season? Von Miller. And we'll talk about the Jets' offensive line after the break because I've done a little McCartan math on that too. Hashtag that out because it's a it's a disaster. And uh, I have another thing that almost made me fall out of my chair with Adam Gase's press conference. So more on that after the break. I'm Danielle McCartan on the fan. And everybody, good good morning. It is now five forty three in the morning. Hope you guys have enjoyed the show. I love this song. It's a good song. Pat, you've been doing a great job. It was well. <laughs> um, so I just want to touch on, just to wrap up, a little more Jets, a little more Mets, and we will send it off into the night. Now, I know I have two calls. I'll just hang on. Let me, I'll get to you in a second. Now that the, the Jets want to make a point about the offensive line, they have um, the highest or the third highest paid offensive line at $45.4 million. That includes backups. Dallas Cowboys are number one. Green Bay Packers are number two. Yet those teams have a three and one record to show for it, and uh, the Jets, uh, not so much. They're zero and three. Run blocking ability for the Jets, last. Pass protection, third to last. And their biggest holes. Remember this name, Kelvin Beecham. He's the worst left tackle in the league. You saw it. You saw him getting manhandled and walked backwards by Miles Garrett on live national TV. Center Ryan Khalil, 
He's also last, surprisingly. He's allowed two sacks, according to NFL Next Gen stats. And in 2018, he surrendered only four in 16 games. He's got two through three. So they're 0-3, and their line is, is Gase is threatening a shakeup. But Coleccio Simley didn't practice on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. And Khalil and Osimile, they have the lowest pass block win rate on the team. So is the shakeup really just going to be Osimile sits the game out and someone else takes a spot for him? Is that the shakeup? The Jets are 27th in pressure percentage, allowing a quarterback pressure one out of every three dropbacks. One out of every three. The Jets quarterback is under duress, including the third stringer. Tell me how even Tom Brady would succeed with that ratio. Spoiler alert, he probably won't do so well. No wonder why their third down percentage is so bad. They are literally the worst in the league. 32nd. The Jets convert on third down 20.89% of the time. 20. 21% of the time they convert on third down. I think you might see Chuma Edoga, third-round pick, make his debut. His NFL draft grade is a 5.65 chance to become a starter. He's 6'3", 308. Of note, though, he's a former teammate of Sam Darnold at USC. Pros. He's got a couple pros. Cons. I mean, maybe a a pro would be, let's see, top-flight, second-level talent with movement skills like a basketball player. That's pretty good. But... What the Jets need, he lacks fundamentals and control in his pass sets. And he's a nonchalant block finisher. Oh, boy. And you want to know something? His NFL comparison? Kelvin Beecham. Yikes. And Adam Gase's ex- explanation, this almost made me fell off my chair, too. This is, this is amazing. He said, there are some things we need to clean up from a coaching aspect. There are some things that we've got to clean up from a play caller perspective. I just think that, really, going forward, what we need to do is try to do my impression take what we're practicing and and the way that we're practicing and the speed at which we're practicing and really transfer that over to Sundays, which we haven't done yet. But that falls on you, bro. I can't believe that the Jets passed on proven winner Mike McCarthy for this clown. And Mets do not fall into that trap. Final score prediction is Eagles 28, Jets 10. And the only reason the Jets score 10 is because there's a defensive touchdown in there. 28-10, Eagles over the Jets. And the Mets, it was fun while it lasted. Jim in Connecticut, you're on a fan. Yes, good morning, Daniel. How are you? Uh, Good, thank you. You were referring to this possible rift between uh, Adam Gase and his quarterback. Uh, I can understand the frustration on the part of Gase, you know, that Darnold isn't on the field yet. You know, it's not Donald's fault that he came down with Mono. But Adam Gase coached in the same division with Sam Darnold last year. And we all know Sam Donald struggled as a rookie. You know, you've been citing a lot of statistics this morning, and I'm looking at last year's quarterback ratings in the NFL. Sam Donald rated 28th out of 33 quarterbacks. So we really don't know how good Sam Donald really is. I mean, he's a prospect, and that's about all he is. He's a prospect. And well, let me tell you I think off right I, there, Jim, because uh... – He's prospect. He really hasn't proven anything yet as an NFL quarterback. Well, Pat just went in my ear, and he told me that he, had, he Sam Darnold had the best quarterback rating in the month of December last year. So the problem well, with Sam Darnold here is that he has nobody to work with him. I mean, who's catching the ball for him? You got Robbie well, Anderson, Jim. You got Robbie Anderson on the end. That guy would not be a number one receiver in anybody's offense. 
never mind, a, a, a number three receiver maybe in someone else's offense. That's the number one receiver that the Jets are working with. I don't know why they gave that that ridiculous contract to Quincy Anunwa. That as well. And you got Jameson Crowder in there. Guy catches the ball like, well, I had it somewhere sixty percent of the time. Meanwhile, Michael Thomas is catching it like ninety percent of the time. Okay, you can't judge Sam Darnold about what's going on here. Okay, but when you say you have to clean things up from play caller and a coaching aspect, bro, it's it's the fourth week, your fourth game. You haven't figured that out yet. You have a terrible head coaching record. Okay, even as an offensive coordinator, he was terrible. Terrible. So I, I just don't understand, and I wasn't alluding to any sort of rift. Of course not. I think Adam Gase thinks the world of Sam Darnold. No rift there. But I'm talking about how this guy is ill-equipped to manage an NFL football team. And I can't believe the Jets didn't see it sooner. Eric, Ron Konkuma, you're on the fan. How you doing, Daniel? Good morning. How are you? Um, Got a little fired up on that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, real quick, I'm with you as far as the uh, the Mets manager on that, too. I'm, I'm, I would love to see them bring Girardi in, but... The impression I got from Jeff Wolpon the other day was that they're going to put a budget on what they're going to spend for the manager on this. And if that's the case, then they're not going to take uh, Girardi. Where, where did you see the Jeff Wilpon quote? Do you remember? Uh, well, well it, it, they, they played it on the radio, okay. actually. Uh, okay. I think it was uh, the same day that they had the press conference, uh, uh, you know, announcing that he was leaving, and, and Ben Wagenen also said they were going to bring back, you know, Syndergaard and uh, right, 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 right. Uh, uh, Diaz. Right. So I, I, I could, I'm pretty sure that was the day. But okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm a little worried about that, and I'm just worried that you know they they also don't want someone who you know might speak his own mind too. So so I don't I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But. Yeah, and and I think it would be a shame if the Mets absolutely. Uh, you know, if if the money was the only reason preventing them from going out and getting a guy like Joe Girardi, my God, this is uh, that would be ridiculous. Eric, thanks for the call. If if money is what sets back Joe Girardi from becoming the manager of the Mets and taking them to that next level, and they settle for somebody else, my God, quintessential Mets though, wouldn't it be? <laughs> I'm getting tweets. That's saying uh, 28-10 Jets lose per your prediction, and they only get 10 because it's a touchdown on defense. Ha, 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 ha. Okay, you'll see. Jets have one of the lowest scoring offenses in the league under Adam Gase. Please. You think they're going to put up any points with, with Falk? They couldn't even put up points with Sam Darnold. My God. The number one thing for the Jets in the offseason, well, one and two. 1A and two and 1B. Offensive line, 1B. Go out and get a receiver, like a real one. Like someone that could fight for a ball. Bill and Lyndon, you're on the fan. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? I've been listening to you for the last 20 minutes. Uh, you're very knowledgeable. It's my first time listening uh, to you. Thank you. Appreciate but, that. I know, yeah, no problem. Um, I, you're making me laugh, though, because you're saying that you don't want the Mets to fall into the same trap as the Jets. Yeah. But you want to get you want to get Girardi. Girardi, Girardi is Girardi's not the answer for any team out there. I, I promise you that right now. I'm a Yankee fan. On what, on what basis? Guy, Come on. On what on what basis? This guy is the most stubborn coach in the entire world. He would you you could turn your boy uh, what's his name uh, Diaz around next year. He could come back to form like he was with Seattle, and 
you could be in a situation where you need him, but he made a decision four and a half weeks ago that he's not pitching today. So guess what? He's not pitching today. You bring in someone else like Seth Lugo, he comes in and he blows the game. So th- that's the kind of hair pulling you're going to be do- dealing with Girardi. He's not the answer. I would go. I would. I would stick it with stay away from these these guys that do want to have a voice. Stick with the yes man like like Boone, and I promise you the Mets have a better future. Thanks, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, Bill. Thanks for the call. <clears throat> um, I mean that is going to be to be seen. I think that if Joe Girardi is willing to work with the team and the statisticians and, and all that, I think he'd be a perfect fit. And maybe he learned his lesson. I don't know, in, in your opinion. So I want you guys to enjoy NFL Week 5 action. you got Jets at Eagles, 1 p.m. Sunday. Minnesota Vikings at New York Giants, 1 p.m. Also Sunday. I hate that. I hate when they do that. Why don't you flip to the WNBA Finals on Sunday? The local Connecticut Sun are hosting the Washington Mystics. Series is tied 1-1. Good basketball. You can find that game 3.30 p.m. on ABC. And obviously the Yankees take on the Twins. Game 2, ALDS 507 on FS1, that is. I want to thank you all the callers that were calling in tonight. Could not have done it without you. Phone lines were, were there was always someone waiting, and I love that. It's been a fun four hours. Want a great job to Pat. You've been absolutely great. I appreciate all the music selections and, and all that, Pat. You did great. And uh, go ahead. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate it. And the one last thing I was going to say before you finish up, this was a, a show that was dominated a lot by Mets callers. And I think a reason for that was all the Yankee fans were drunk, sleeping <laughs> soundly after a nice win. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> Pat fires shots with six minutes left to go in the show. Oh, and we're going to get a bunch of Mets calls now. Um, and, and also to the one and only Marco Belletti on the updates. Um, and I'm so happy to say that you guys can catch me again early Next football Sunday, and that's Saturday night into Sunday, 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Hopefully, that'll be after another Yankees win. This time, though, in the ALCS. I'll see you all then. See you all next week. In the meantime, you can hit my socials at CoachMCCARTAN on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Same spelling. Let's keep the conversation going until next week. Up next is the legendary Richard Neer starting at 6 a.m. Thank you very much. See you guys next week. See